I know you don't smoke weed. I know this. But I'm going to get you high today. Because it's Friday. You ain't got no job. And you ain't got shit to do. Thank God it's Friday. I love the colorful clothes you wear. And the way the sunlight plays upon her hair. Ah, uh, the Beach Boys. Very appropriate for this, uh, well, this Friday morning. The Friday before Memorial Day weekend. Well, the Friday weekend before Memorial Day weekend, right? What are you, Friday drunk? next week. You okay? No, I'm, I'm a little high. <laughs> a little high. I stayed up all night. I noticed uh, these Friday mornings when you do the show from home and I'm in the studio that you will start the show often at 6 a.m. Not exactly right, so I can only imagine the edibles and the... Forster lagers and the cigarettes and all this stuff still on your porch from 3 a.m. this morning. Yeah. yeah. No, actually in the house now. I've thrown <laughs> caution to the wind. I smoke in the house. I drink in the house. That's it. I don't care. No. No, listen. Uh, the Beach Boys, obviously. Uh, Governor Murphy, he's opening the beaches in New Jersey. How great a sign is that? Well, it's, it's a great sign. You know, you and I was talking about, let's get something going. I mean, it's not ideal. The restaurants will be just takeout, and you must wear a mask if you go to the restaurant. They will have cops up and down the shore making sure you practice social distancing. So it's great. The beaches are open. You get a chance to go outside. I got news for you. If Phil Murphy Bernard didn't open the beaches, if Andrew Cuomo doesn't open the beaches, guess where I'm going tomorrow? The beach. Yeah, well, so, so, I'm here. I'm so, here now. Right, so opening the beaches doesn't really do much for me. I want to hear the restaurants are open, the bars are open, people can once again mingle and socialize. You're going to go to the beach anyway, quite frankly. Well, listen, uh, the New York Stock Exchange is going to open uh, partially on May 26th. Nice. And uh, the state of Wisconsin, by the way, the somebody sued the state of Wisconsin, sued the governor. And they had to overturn the whole stay-at-home order. People can do whatever they want today Well, in, in yeah, Wisconsin. Kind of. Not, not today. Tory Evers is the governor of Wisconsin. And you're right. 4-3 win in the Wisconsin Supreme Court for the people. Now, he had a stay-at-home in effect until May the 26th. And the Republican government that runs that place agreed to May the 20th. So Wednesday of next week, Wisconsin will have all of their freedoms back. Not just yet. But it is good news. Uh, You've been asking for this in New York for weeks now, Bernard, that a governor in a major state was sued and lost. Exactly right. I've been saying that to uh, Kieran Lawl. Any Republican politician that will listen, sue the governor. Sue him. Take it to court. Now, uh, uh, the the Wisconsin uh, case, they say that uh, he can't do what he's doing without the, 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 the passage of the state legislature, which is Republican in Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. That's Whereas exactly in right. New, yes. In New York, it's very, very Democratic. Right. That's so difference. maybe it wouldn't work here, but uh, at least give it a shot. Because, uh, yeah, these, they, they have short-term powers, but they don't have long-term powers. And we've, uh, we've already met some. Uh, we've met all the criteria. We've met them all. They're just, again, <laughs> uh, they keep, uh, as I said, moving the goalposts. They actually moved the uh, date, too. We heard initially it was going to be June 6th or June 7th, and we find out it's now June the 13th. Now, he did say, Governor Cuomo, that if some of these regions get to all seven criteria and or before June 13th, he will open them. He's opened four so far. 
But again, for the millionth, gazillionth time, for us here in New York City, we're nowhere close. Well, you know, speaking of uh, Andrew Cuomo yesterday, I mean, uh, just listen to his cavalier attitude. Play this Cuomo clip, uh, you know, about people dying, uh, Matt Meany. Play, Play Cuomo right here. Up until today, as I am before you, I can look you in the eyes and say we did everything that we could. As a society, you can't save everyone. You're going to lose people. That's life. That's somebody else is in charge of that. Much higher pay grade. But we did everything we could. I want to make sure the same is true until this is over. We did everything we could. People died. That's life. People died. Who cares? People died. That's that's what happens. And, and you live, you die. Well. You imagine if President Trump said something like that? That's life. Well, I mean, look, I, I, I actually said almost the same thing on a radio station in Miami yesterday, which was we got to open up and people are going to die. You know, the, the bottom hey, listen, line, people are going to die, but you, you, you got to weigh the risk versus the reward. You never want to see anybody die, but that's just so PC, utopian well, it, nonsense. It, people are going to die. <laughs> yes, of course they are. And that's risk reward, as you point out. But uh, in this case, it was due to a, well, a faulty decision, let's say. I mean, a decision that was sort of inexplicable, uh, given that uh, they had other resources. But uh, anyway, just a cavalier attitude for me and you is one thing from, uh, you know, our elected politicians. Hey, some people are going to die. Like I said, if it was President Trump that said that, they'd have his head on a platter right now. But uh, not, not, not uh, you know, Il Duce, uh, St. Andrew Cuomo. Uh, they're not going to do that. Now, on the beaches, let's listen exactly, speaking of governors, to what Governor Murphy said about these uh, beaches and boardwalks, which will open a week from today. Today, I am proud to announce that, yes, our shore and our lakesides and our lakeshores, rather, will be open. And with, as with all of our decisions, we followed our core principles that data determines dates and public health creates economic health. And to be clear, no one will be discriminated against. No community can turn a public beach into a de facto private one. Organized games and contact sports will be prohibited, as will beach recreational summer camps and special events that draw people to the beach, such as concerts, festivals, or fireworks. So, there was a lot more what you can't do than what you can do. <laughs> did you notice that, Bern? I think we lost Bernie. You know, listen, he did also say, you know, I did make a complaint that, uh, listen, it's great the beaches are open, but the restaurants are still not open, the bars are still not open, and this social distancing nonsense is going to be, you know, really... Uh, the police are going to be out there making sure that's the case. But he did say, to his credit, Phil Murphy, and maybe you've got this cut too, Matt, that, look, this is how it starts next week, but life can be a heck of a lot different a month from now. In other words, maybe a month from now, the bars are open. Maybe a month from now, the restaurants, you can dine at the restaurants. So he did say that, that, listen, this is how it looks next week, which is basically the beaches are open, but there's 9 billion restrictions. But, hey, a month from now, that can totally change. Is Bernie back? No. Okay. So uh, that's the film Rumpy stuff. Uh, Bernie did play one Andrew Cuomo cut. And, of course, the, the pressure is on Andrew Cuomo right now to do the same thing that Phil Murphy did, open up the beaches. And actually, one of Bernie's guys, Bernie's guy, Todd Kaminsky, if you live out there by Bernard, you know the local politician Todd Kaminsky. 
He's the guy that's quoted in today's New York Post about Andrew Cuomo opening up the beaches. And he said something that Bernie has said, and we've said on this show now for quite some time, which is, which I just said as well, we're going anyway. I am going to the beach tomorrow. That I can tell you. Me and my family, we did it two weeks ago. We're going back to see Mike Sullivan tomorrow. But uh, it's not just going to be me. And Kaminsky made the point that if Cuomo does not open the beaches, as the weather continues to improve, people will still go to the beaches. And the problem is, you got people swimming in the ocean with no lifeguards. And people are going to die. People are going to drown. There's going to be all kinds of issues. So if you're Andrew Cuomo, and you're no dummy, although maybe he is, and you know full well people will still flock to the beaches, whether you say yes or no, why run the risk of having people drowning <laughs> all over New York. Open up the beaches, put the lifeguards there, put on the same restrictions that Phil Murphy is doing in New Jersey, social distancing, blah, 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 blah. You know, I know that uh, a lot of folks are not happy that the cops are out there enforcing social distancing. And we go back to that, that ugly video with that African-American lady in the subway who really took a beating at the hands of the cops. And there's a lot of folks out there who say the cops should not be doing that type of stuff, enforcing social distancing. De Blasio says, no, they need to do it. They basically work for me. They need to do it. Uh, but listen, if you need to use them to go out to whatever beach it is, what's a uh, beach, a Reese Park, I guess? Or Yeah, the Rockaways. Uh, 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 yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's where I'm going to be tomorrow, Breezy Point. But yeah, I guess Jones Beach, any one of the many beaches in New York, if you have to use the cops, go ahead and use them. Bottom line is, we have to get back to some sense of normalcy this summer. And you folks tell me, what's more normal in the summer than the beach? I mean, that's it. That's as, that's as normal as it gets, the beach. So congratulations to Phil Murphy in New Jersey. And uh, as for our governor, Andrew Cuomo, you know what they say, folks. Once a putz, always a putz. Back here on the Bernie Show, heard everywhere on the 77 WABC app. Uh, these, th- those two guys were uh, what? Which, which are the Harvard graduates? Yes, uh, who both. are those guys? Yes. Uh, by the way, we stuck with your Beach Boys theme there. Don't worry, baby. That's actually Fred the Elephant Boy Schreiber and High Pitch Eric from the Howard oh. Stern Show. And, of course, um, uh, Fred Schreiber, a.k.a. Elephant Boy, uh, a dear friend of mine, and started listening to my radio show in Miami every morning about seven years ago. Listens to you and I every morning. Been a guest on this show many times. And uh, yesterday, of course, you and I talked about this. I finally, you've been there for a long time, Bernie. But I finally cut ties with Stern. I'm done with him. Uh, you know, what he said about you. And when he talks about Trump supporters, I, you pop into my mind. That's it. And you're my guy. I've cut loose from Howard Stern. It's one thing for me to do it. But yes, Fred Schreiber, a.k.a. the Elephant Boy who's been Howard Stern's most popular member outside of Beetlejuice of the WAC Pack for the better part of two decades, 25 years to be exact, quit the Howard Stern show yesterday based on his remarks about Trump supporters and said to me on Twitter, and I quote, it doesn't really matter because I listen to you and Bernie every morning anyway. Wow. That's a huge story. Listen, first of all, he was, uh, I remember when he appeared with us, uh, very uh, smart Guy, very nice uh, young man. Uh, he works at, what, the post office? He has some type of government job in Queens. I'm not yeah, sure yeah. if it's a post office or not, but he is a very, very bright guy. Don't, don't yeah, be confused right. by the way he exactly. talks. Yeah, That's my point. That's my point. He's a, a smart guy, and uh, good for him. 
Uh, Howard Stern, as I said yesterday, he's just a phony, a phony sellout scumbag who should uh, shut his mouth because he doesn't know what he's talking about. And uh, I'll tell you what. I'll give you a perfect example of that. The uh, This guy who, uh, Rory McIlroy, uh, he, he's in the New York Post. So he's all over the place. He gave an interview yesterday, and he talked about President Trump. And he said, uh, he, he, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily want to play golf with him. He's, he's not in lockstep with him on his policies. But Stern's point was that, uh, that, that Trump hates his own supporters. He doesn't even talk, you know, to the little guy and all that stuff. Rory McIlroy uh, begs to disagree with that sentiment. Uh, I think we have a Rory McIlroy. Do we not, Matt Meany? We do. Well, let's just set up before you play this. The folks may not know who Rory McIlroy is. He is a a professional golfer, and uh, he was one of the guys that was supposed to be the next Tiger Woods. He is one of the best golfers in the world and has won majors and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And at one point, by the way, was engaged to one of the top female tennis players. Uh, in the world uh, just a couple of years ago. So uh, he is one and of the it, most well-known golfers in the world now for the better part of 15 years. And one of my peeps, too, I might add. Yes, <laughs> an, most important Irishman who comes from uh, Northern Ireland and yet uh, uh, uses the U.K. flag for some reason, which uh, uh, doesn't put him very high in my book. But anyway, he said this about golfing with President Trump. Take a listen. I'll stand here and I'll sit here and say the day that I did spend with him and, and others was very enjoyable. He's very charismatic. He was nice to everyone. Didn't matter whether you were me or the the guys in the cart barn or the pro at the golf club. He has something. He obviously has something or he wouldn't be in the White House, right? You know, whatever it is, it's an X factor. It's a charisma. It's a, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But most people that he came across that day, he was cordial. He was nice. He was personable. And that's my only real interaction with him. So I will sit here and say that the day that I had with him, I enjoyed. But that doesn't mean that I agree with everything or, in fact, anything that he says. The point, of, of course, of the, the upshot, oh, the way he talks, that's the Northern Ireland way they talk. They talk a little different than the way they talk down in the south of Ireland, do you see? <laughs> but uh, the point is that he treats everybody the same, doesn't matter who you are. If you're, uh, you know, you're the guy in the clubhouse serving the food or, or if you're Rory McIlroy, he treats you exactly the same, which, uh, again, undercuts what that punk Stern said about uh, the president. Well, the you know, day what, that- what really hit me there, Bernie, was that Rory McIlroy has met President Trump once, once. And uh, by the way, he's not American. That's why he tends to be a little more rational. <laughs> you know, I don't believe in anything the guy says, but he seems like a decent guy. That, that's most Americans don't feel that way. But Rory met Trump once. Donald Trump and Howard Stern were friends. It wasn't that long ago where Howard Stern said repeatedly, and I heard it many times on his show, that the best guest he's had in his 30-year history on New York radio is Donald Trump. Trump has been on that show a billion times. So it's even more worth uh, worth, uh, noting that McElroy met the guy once and said that about Donald Trump. Stern who was friendly with Donald Trump for the better part of two and a half decades, had him on his show a million times, stabbed him right in the back. You can say the same exact thing. I don't like his politics. In fact, I hate him. I wouldn't vote for Donald Trump tomorrow. But he's my friend, and he's a nice guy, and he's a good guest. If he says that, nobody is mad at Howard Stern today. Yeah, well, well, maybe, maybe, maybe Jimmy Kimmel would be mad. His good friend, maybe uh, Rosie O'Donnell would be mad, and those are the people apparently. He's pandering to when uh, he throws uh, Trump under the bus. And, of course, 
to turn it into uh, he wishes that Trump supporters die and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. just Terrible. a little bit too far. I mean, yeah. come on. Uh, yeah, this, this, this guy who used to be, again, as we said yesterday, Trump is the Howard Stern of presidents, the most politically incorrect. Uh, the guy who said uh, grab him by the whatever a long time ago. Of course, he wouldn't say it today, but or maybe he would. I don't know. Maybe he'd say it if he thought it was you were off camera. But uh, he is the Howard Stern of the presidency. So, yeah, Howard doing that just, uh, again, it's total sellout from the Hamptons in his basement. And uh, good riddance to him. The hell with him. Get him out. I'm sick of him. I'm sick of all of them, to, to be quite honest with you. And the hate that this guy has undergone uh, for the past uh, three and a half years, four years. Uh, yeah, Trump was a great guest on his show, and he was a regular guy. And you can see, uh, you know, he doesn't hate his supporters. Far from it. He goes out there and he embraces his supporters during these rallies. These people out there, these uh, the, the rank and file of uh, the, the nation, the workers, the blue-collar workers, he connects with them. That's why people love him, because he connects with them. And it's legendary that when he was, uh, you know, doing his thing here in New York all, all through these years, he would go to construction sites and he would bond with the construction workers and all that stuff. Everybody knows that. So Stern doesn't know what he's talking about when he says that about the president. No, but one guy that uh, does know what he's talking about when he talks about the president and uh, loves the president, met the president a lot more than once, like Rory McElroy, Roger Stone, who, of course, is set to go to prison at some point. He will join us later on this morning. Bernie coming up at 840. That's a big deal. Yeah, that is a big deal. Uh, he was uh, supposed to go April 30th. They gave him a one-month reprieve because of the coronavirus. So uh, May 30th, from what I understand, is his last tentative uh, a sentencing day, unless they, they extend that. And uh, he's been sentenced to uh, 40 months, you might remember. Uh, it was uh, initially they recommended seven to nine years, and then uh, uh, Bill Barr got involved, the Trump got involved a little bit, and that's where Trump and Barr got into a little riff, a little riff there because uh, Barr was saying, listen, Mr. President, if you could stay out of this, I can do my job a little better, a little easier. And anyway, the judge eventually uh, gave him 40 months instead of the seven to nine recommended by the prosecutors. But also the jury four person in that case was very, very biased. Uh, she had a history, a social media history of bashing Trump, et cetera, et cetera. And it will be interesting to hear what Roger Stone says now in the wake of the fact that, that we know how how deep and how high this uh, Russia hoax went. He's a victim of the, of the Mueller was the guy who prosecuted uh, uh, Roger Stone. If there was no Mueller investigation, Roger Stone wouldn't be going to jail. We know the Mueller investigation was predicated on crap, on garbage, on a steel dossier, on, on a bunch of uh, hateful deep state actors and the Obama DOJ. And anyway, so Roger Stone is going to jail because of it. So well, it will be maybe. very interesting to hear what he says about that. Maybe he's going to jail. I would imagine the president will pardon Roger Stone. But we'll, uh, we'll talk to Roger later. Also, it's Friday. That means another installment of a segment we're very proud of here. WABC Cares. And uh, on this day, we'll talk to the founder of the nonprofit group. And this is a hashtag. Half the story, Larissa Lars May. And Larissa is going to talk about how social media is actually helping people in a big way during this time, during this coronavirus time, when people, in fact, are depressed and anxious. Social media playing a huge role in helping people out. We are black here on the Bernie and Sid Show. Heard everywhere on the 77 WABC app. Today is May 15, the end of the lockdown. This is great. 
Eh, well. Not really. They extended it. That's right. Not really. Not, and really. not even two like weeks it. anymore. Now they go a month. June 13th. Yeah. Like I said, uh, they're doing uh, exactly what they want to do. What they announced they're doing in California. The mayor of uh, L.A., Garcetti, and even Governor Newsom, who was a little more soft-spoken about it. But they're doing the same thing essentially here in New York without advertising it as such. They're going to just slow roll it, Governor Cuomo with his slick talk and all that stuff, as he keeps delaying it. And uh, I, I think people are just getting sicker and sicker of it. They're waking up. It's going to, you know, I think this, this discontent, I believe, is going to be cutting across party lines, ethnic lines, everything, you name it. Everywhere, demographic line. People are just, look, we can't close down the society. We just can't. Well, there, there are uh, more and more stores. Uh, again, very anecdotal. I've got a friend in Queens. There are more and more restaurants opening up, not for, obviously, in-house dining, but they are opening up. More and more stores are opening up. And to further the frustration, Bernard, again, I've got the house down in Boca. My sister lives in Parkland. I've got a million friends down there still. I'm still very tight with that community. I was on Andy Slater's show yesterday. I'll be on the Greeks show on 940 AM WINZ in Miami today. And uh, our friend down there, he opened up Palm Beach County, uh, Dade County in Miami, uh, Broward County, all of Fort Lauderdale. Our guy, Ryan DeSantis, down in Florida, he opened up. Now, it's not as dense as New York City. I get it. I get it. But it's still pretty dense in South Florida. And he's got restrictions. Don't get me wrong, just like Phil Murphy does in New Jersey. But he opened up yesterday, making it even more frustrating for New Yorkers like us. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, our numbers have been going down uh, dramatically. For the We've met all that criteria with the uh, flatten the curve, slow the spread, all that stuff. We've met all the criteria, really, the, uh, that the White House has laid out, the task force. But they uh, tacked on these ridiculous uh, testing and uh, this uh, contact tracing stuff, which is, forget about the big brother uh, abuse of civil liberties aspect of it. It's just something that's going to take a long, long time to organize and get people out there. And whatever it is, it's still ineffective. Even the testing. You can get tested one day and uh, really uh, catch it uh, a little bit later in the day. Uh, you could get t- you can test negative in the morning, catch it later in the day, but they're going to go around saying that uh, you're fine. It's just stupid. It's ridiculous. We met all the criteria. The emergency is over. Now let it play out. Let people go back to work because you're doing more damage than you are good. This Michigan uh, governor, Whitmer, she's the real, real petty tyrant, just like the uh, L.A. mayor. I mean, just vocal about her uh, t- tyrannical uh, attitude towards all this stuff. There was one Michigan barber. He opened up uh, 77-year-old, God bless him, this uh, poor guy. He opened up his barbershop in defiance of the laws in Michigan. But, again, like we, we did with the, uh, the gym owner in Belmore, New Jersey, the Attilus a gym owner in Belmore. This old man, 77 years old, again, fairly articulate about why he did what he did. He's not some sort of uh, crook. Listen, listen to this guy, this Michigan barber, the 77-year-old guy. I'm 77. I've always worked. I've never looked for handouts. I don't even know what they are. I had somebody call me and say, well, why didn't you get on food stamps? <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't want food stamps. I want to work. When our governor said, we, you know, we're going to have another 28 days, it knocked me to my knees. I, I, I couldn't take another 28 days. All of us as Americans need to begin to take responsibility for ourselves. You know, uh, I feel that uh, the, the government is not my mother, never has been. Right. You know, and uh, matter of fact, this administration, for the most part, I've been in business longer than they've been alive. 
So he reopened in defiance of uh, that idiot uh, governor in Michigan, that lady who's t- trying to get on uh, the ticket with Joe Biden. Now, correct me if I'm oh. wrong, though. The guy in Jersey, he's just going to reopen. I could be wrong here with the specifics, but that gentleman you just played, that old, nice little old man, I believe he had like an armed militia standing with him. Like he's got people with guns outside of his shop. Literally, I'm, not, I'm, I'm being serious, armed militia in and around him oh. when he reopened his store. That's what I read. I don't know if that's true. I didn't see that he had armed militia. Uh, it depends on where you read it. Of course, if you read it in the New York Times or AP or uh, Reuters or the Drudge. Washington Post or something like that, or it's going to be biased. <laughs> right. But I'll tell you what they did do with him. They took away his uh, barbershop license. Uh, so when uh, Mich- Michigan does allow barbershops and salons, et cetera, to reopen, he won't be able to. He's done. They're going to punish him, that 77-year-old man who sounded very, very reasonable, and laid out the case for why he should reopen his business. He's done. They're gonna. They're actually gonna punish him for what he did, in, in, in extending beyond the lockdown. I See, mean, they're really gonna do is. that with everybody, Burn. They're gonna take away liquor licenses for bars and restaurants. Uh, they may have the, the the Department of Health do something with the gym down in New Jersey. I mean, they're gonna make it so that hey, they're not gonna just come and shut down your business. They're gonna make sure you know that if you do it, there will be long time repercussions whether you're a barber a gym owner or a bar owner that's what they're going to do there's your, there's your authoritarian socialism for the crime of trying to save the business that you put your uh, hard uh, blood sweat and tears into for years and years for that that, that for only that crime and uh you, you mentioned florida it's it's florida for 14 percent the numbers are down 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 ron DeSantis was going to be he was going to be a real uh you know a real devil a real go-to villain in this, and also the uh, the governor of Florida, excuse me, the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, he as well was going to be another guy. He was going to be vilified. They were getting ready. As a matter of fact, uh, just listen, in late April to uh, this uh, Rachel Maddow lookalike uh, a schmuck, uh, Chris Hayes from MSNBC, and the person who ran against the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, Stacey Abrams, the two of them, what they said when he, just at the beginning of the reopening of uh, Georgia businesses, listen to what they said. If that sounds insane to you, you're not alone. And for the record, Georgia does not meet the White House guidelines. It does not have a 14-day trajectory of declining cases. It has tested less than 90,000 people out of a population of more than 10 million. Mayors in Georgia are describing the governor's decision as reckless, dangerous, and illogical. We honestly don't understand. The mayors of our largest cities have all expressed deep concern, as have our scientists. This makes no sense, and it doesn't improve our economy. It simply puts more Georgians at risk. Well, they were both wrong, weren't they? The Georgia's doing just fine, doing better than most states, as a matter of fact. Uh, so you have the, these red states that are reopening, doing well, Georgia, Florida, Texas as well. Uh, uh, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> these people were just dead wrong. They, they, these businesses are being saved. They're not going to slide into uh, a, a local depression like we are here in New York and places in California, no doubt. Places in Michigan will. The blue state, the lockdown continues. And this guy, uh, you, you've heard of this guy, Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports. Of course. You know this guy. He right? was the guy that started, I believe, Barstool Sports. Well, he got – he was – he, he – put out this video it's got almost seven million views on youtube and he's been saying using uh, even the verbiage that we've been using here on the show for weeks uh this uh dave portnoy from barstool sports listen to what he said what the f- going on 
When did this become flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve to we have to find a cure or everyone's gonna die? Find a cure? Who says we're gonna find a cure? People have been mentally preparing. We're doing what you ask. We've done exactly what you said. Now you're changing the rules. <laughs> Bingo. Exactly. Well, now, just so you know, though, Dave Portnoy, much like Bernie and Sid, much like the sports talk show host Clay Travis, we are the, um, we're the bad guys because we tend to side with Trump. We tend to, um, most of us are Republicans, if not ultra-conservative, at least in some fashion. So he falls in that group. He, you know, he's kind of like a bad boy Dave Portnoy. Uh, not really accepted by the mainstream media, but doing very, very well, making millions of dollars, and his website does great. So good for him. And he followed all the rules, uh, did everything again like we have been doing, like everybody's been doing. And then, yes, they moved the goalpost. They absolutely positively moved the goalpost. Now, he said this, and it's representative of a lot of uh, small business owners. He, he runs, he started, this is a business, this Barstool Sports. This is what he said. This is his sentiment last night. He was on TV after the video came out. They put him on TV. This is what he said last night about uh, this whole thing. If you gave me the choice, it took me 10 years, a decade, of working almost 24-hour days, no exaggeration, to turn the corner and become successful. If corona hit at that moment, I would have been out of business. And everything that I worked for 10 years, gone, flushed down the toilet. At the very least, they should have the option. I don't know what to believe. There's so many, you know, you hit different things. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. And I think most doctors, Fauci will be even like, this is a new disease, we don't know, we don't know what we're dealing with. Fine, give me the choice then. Let me go outside and risk potentially getting sick, or do I want to ruin my business? Because if it was me, I would rather die from corona than have to start over, work a nine-to-five. He'd rather be dead. Rather be yeah, but dead. Here's the problem, have- but here's the problem with what he said, Bernie, and I say the same thing, and so do you. You know, listen, if you're 75 years old and you don't want to go outside, stay home. Bottom line is stay home. Uh, you don't want it, the, the risk. I understand that. But uh, I shouldn't have to stay at home. But where, what Dave and these other folks don't get is where they come from is when you go outside, we don't care that you're risking your own life. We don't care. We don't care that you don't care if you're, you're ready or willing to die. The problem is when you go outside, you put others at risk. And once they say that, we're shut down. We're shut down. What right. do you say? But of, but of course, uh, as we know, everything has risk. Uh, we talked about this ad nauseum here on the show. Every time you go out of your house, in, in the best of times, it's a risky behavior because something could happen. You could, you could get a hit on the head. Something could fall from a scaffold. Well, but, but, something could hit ha- by a bus. but something could happen to you. Their contention is you're going to kill somebody else. So you're not a brave heart for wanting to go outside and go to work. You're insensitive but you, but and that, selfish. But the science doesn't back that up. Because Correct. Because if the, if the vulnerable is. stay home, uh, they, will not get, they will not die. Most people recover from this. And Correct. finally, just one last thing. This guy's not a Trump lover. His name is Andrew Napolitano. He's a judge, a former judge, Fox News guy. But this is what he said about what's coming in these blue states if they don't start to uh, undo this lockdown. Listen to Napolitano. Civil disobedience is probably the next step if these governors do not uh, come to a sense of reason because the the authority that they are uh, enacting is absolutely illegitimate. There you go. It's unconstitutional. Just ask the, uh, the, the, the judge that overturned the Wisconsin uh, lockdown mandate. And there's Judge Napolitano. It's going to come here as well. I th- I, and it's going to cut across, as I said earlier in the show, it's going to cut across all lines, uh, party lines, racial, gender, you, demographics, you name it. 
We have to get this society back. This, this country's going to collapse. Great Depression is coming if we don't reopen. It's that urgent on the Bernie and Sid show. So we have Roger Stone coming up, Sydney. We do. And, uh, and we've got a go WABC ahead. Care segment, too, right, Bernard? Yes, we, we have uh, the doctor from uh, uh, somebody from NAMI, the National Association. Yeah, she's of not a Mental doctor. She's not a doctor. She, she well, she's actually, not a doctor. She started the website. It's a nonprofit website. Tag half the story. And she's going to talk about digital wellness, how social media is actually helping people get through anxiety and depression. One more thing about what we just said about Wisconsin. It wasn't a judge. It was four judges. It was the Wisconsin Supreme Court who heard right, that case, right, right, right. and they right. won it four to three. You know, it's one thing if one guy does it. They actually won that in the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which is a, a very, very big deal. Anyway, one hour in the books, three more to go. Bernie and Sid on a Friday. Starting to get into that uh, springtime, late spring, summertime, Memorial Day mood with this song. This is a guy uh, who's gone all in for Trump as well, which I love. Hey, listen, uh, back on the Bernie and Sid Show, heard everywhere in the 77 WABC app, uh, this uh, dingbat health commissioner of New York City, she still has her job after saying to a police officer, a high-ranking police officer, she doesn't give two rats' asses about the NYPD when he was asking for uh, protective gear for his, uh, you know, for the cops. He wanted. I don't give two rats' asses yeah. about your cops. He wanted a half a million surgical masks. She offered fifty thousand. But you need to mention his name because I believe he's just as guilty in this as Dr. Barbeau, and that is NYPD Chief Terrence Monahan, who inexplicably accepted this lady's not just a dingbat. But really a, uh, a hateful idiot. He accepted evil, this ev- evil. Yeah, he accepted this evil lady's apology uh, when she did this a couple of months back. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why he would do that. So she's guilty, Dr. Barbeau, and so is NYPD Chief Terrence Monahan. Well, Bill de Blasio spoke out about it yesterday. He was, uh, believe me, he was not sincere. Listen to him. No public servant uh, should ever in any way um, say anything disrespectful about the men and women of the NYPD. Uh, They protect us. We need to protect them. So to me, it would be inappropriate for anyone, (laughs) particularly in a leadership role, uh, to suggest uh, any lack of interest in protecting the men and women of the NYPD. That would be, to me, a real inappropriate statement. This is a guy who bragged to uh, the nation about how he told his kids that the cops were racist. Watch out. Watch out for those uh, racist bad cops. Unbelievable. Now, Dermot Shea. Before uh, before you get to Dermot Shea, the second part of the story with Bill de Blasio, the mayor, that's unbelievable. Is A, like you talked about there, he he, uh, shows the cops more disrespect than anybody. But B, he actually acted ignorant yesterday. I don't know much about this. I'm going to look into it. It's very disturbing. If, yeah, in well, fact, lying. this is... Of course he's lying. He knew the whole thing. So above and of beyond course. the he, fact that he, he's a liar because he treats the cops the same way, he came out yesterday like this is news to him. She should have been fired uh, by yesterday morning. I think we lost Bernie again. All right, but he's right. Bernie's right. She should have been fired. Uh, NYPD Chief Terrence Monahan, not exactly... Uh, a picture of courage there. And Bernie was about to mention Dermot Shea, who has been yelling and screaming for days that his cops are not racist. Is that where you were going, Bern? No, I guess he's not there. Okay. Uh, yes, uh, he came out and, um, you know, look, that video of that lady in the subway. Uh, now, Bernie said yesterday that she smacked the cop. I have not seen that. I've not seen that. As far as I know, all she did was mouth off to the cop, which is bad enough. 
And we have plenty of those stories. You should never do that. But if you mouth off to a cop and you're a woman with a child, the cops shouldn't have been that physical. And I'm always pro-cop, always pro-cop. But from what I know about the story, it did look like the cops got real physical when all she did, as far as I know, was mouth off. Now, Bernie can fix that. He knows that she hit him or something. She hit him. I saw the, I saw the video. I watched it. Watch it. Watch it. It's it's plain as the nose on your face. She smacked the cop. She smacked the cop's hand. You can hear it. She smacked the cop. She hit. She assaulted the no, cop. Did she did she smack the cop? In other words, she mouthed off to the cop. Next thing you know, there's six of them all over her, and then she smacked the hand of the cop in an effort to get away. Yes, exactly. Oh well, that's come on. That's not the same thing. I mean, again, I, I'm pro cop all the time, but you can't get physical with that lady and her kid. Six cops. Because well, no, she they, didn't, they off. didn't touch her. They hadn't touched her. They had not gotten physical with her. Well, they, they did it. They mouthed off to her. I saw it. The, she, she tried. Did, did, then, you, did you not see her hit them? I no, I didn't see her hit them. I saw oh. her try to try to get away from then, six cops. You know that was a bit much for me. I, I mean, if you're Demarche, you still have to protect these guys because they're the men and women in blue. But and I'm always pro cop. But it did seem a bit much to me from what I saw. I got to be honest. It is, it, it, it maybe was overkill, but she, they told her to put the mask on. They're following the mayor's orders, and she just ignored. She screamed at them. She didn't comply, and then she hit. She smacked one of the cops, and that's when they took her down. Folks never knew why they call it like they do. I was wondering since the age of two down on Copper Line. Copper Head, Copper Beach. James Taylor. Copper Line, 709 on your Friday morning. JT for me is all about this summer, Roll down the window, head up to upstate New York. Smoke that skinny that Bernie seems to uh, really enjoy. (laughs) Well, listen, (laughs) I can extol the virtues. I I recall all those many years ago how nice it was, but... uh, been a long time. Been a long time. So listen, so we, we, we talked about this a lady in the video uh, with the cops in the subway, and they wanted to put a mask on. She didn't want to do it. So let me give you a story. Yesterday afternoon at about 4 p.m., I make my way to Riverside Park. I live right in between two parks, Riverside Park and Central Park. But Riverside Park is a bit closer, and it's an easier run. So I go to Riverside Park uh, to, to my run, and I notice at the stairs, Bernie, where you walk downstairs to get inside the park, there are two uniformed police officers, one gentleman and one female. And um, the female has a box of masks, a box. And I notice I'm about a block away, and I see her actually hand the mask to one of the parkers. And I go, oh, my God, here we go. Here we go. And you're not wearing one at this point? I'm not wearing one. I don't have one. I have no intention of wearing one or having one. And I know I'm about to run four miles, and I can't breathe for 20 minutes on the train with this stupid mask on. I'm not going to wear it. No way. You can't run with a mask. I'm sorry. No chance. Although yesterday I saw, I'd say about 70% of the runners that I saw were wearing masks. I don't know how they do it, but I can't do it. Anyway. So I make my way towards the steps, and I go, oh, my God, here we go. And sure enough, this uh, lovely African-American police officer, female, stops me and says, not take one, not you must wear one. She says, and I quote, do you want one? And I said, you know what? No, I don't wear a mask in the park. I'm running in the park. I can't breathe as it is. I'm not going to take a mask. And her next sentence was, enjoy your run. Wow. 
Now she was uh, she it. was with a, a male cop. I came back from my run. They were still standing there at the very top of the steps. I made my way to the male cop. I kept six feet away, and I said, "Thank you, thank you for your service. Thank you for dealing with all this." And he said, "You're welcome." And the best part of the story is, I came back. 30 minutes later with Gabriel, my 11-year-old son, because he wanted to walk in the park, and the same two cops were there, and this time they initiated the hello, saying, hey, guys, how are you? And at that point didn't even offer me and Gabriel a mask. So how about that? No, look, these cops are put in a, a, a real bad position because they have to enforce uh, rules that are clearly stupid, not backed by science, and uh, maybe unconstitutional. Uh, so it's good to see that, uh, you know, I don't know if she would get in trouble for uh, something like that, for not enforcing it uh, in this, you know, the 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 the, uh, the People's Republic of New York. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad she did it. I mean, the, 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 there's a lot of these cops feel this exact same way. This is utterly ridiculous and stupid. It's 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 it defies. Again, you're outdoors. Right. You're, it's, it's not like you're inside in. Uh, you know, in a bodega somewhere. In a or, confined space. And, and you heard yeah. Deb Valentine talk about, and again, this Shea. I can't stand him on Shea. To me, and I said this in State 1, he's no different than Jimmy O'Neill. He's already talking about shutting down sections of Central Park. It sounded like maybe the softball field. Because uh, Danielle does run there, and I walk there. And I did notice the last couple of weekends that on the softball fields, there were a lot of people laying out. You know, they got their lounge chairs. They've got a big blanket. They've got picnic items. And they're laying out getting some sun. And I keep thinking to myself, you know, something's going to happen here. And sure enough, Deb talked about this morning that Shea and the New York P- the NYPD is uh, not even considering they're going to shut down portions of Central Park coming up this weekend. Yeah, this uh, it's so offensive. He, he, he's turning out to be a complete uh, a de Blasio mouthpiece, just a stooge, just, uh, you know, a figurehead. Uh, he should have been screaming. Uh, I dropped out last time with the uh, uh, clip on uh, this Oxyrus bot. He should have been screaming uh, f- from the rafters for her to be fired. I don't care if uh, he, he thinks her remarks were disturbing. She should be fired. She, he should be screaming like uh, Patrick Lynch and our friend uh, Sergeant Ed Mullins do. I mean, he represents. He's he's the he's he's the guy who is in, actually has some power yeah. in the NYPD. He's the top guy. Maybe he didn't he do it. Maybe he didn't do it because he didn't want to make Terrence Monaghan look bad. But I got to tell you something, Byrne. I don't care. No, I'm with you. Forget about this incident, which is a fireable offense. She should be fired. I tweeted that two days ago. It'll be one thing. Uh, again, they're, they're exclusive, but it'll be one thing if she was really good at her job. She was really good. She said something disturbing. Don't forget, it was only a month ago, you and I had two Queens assemblymen, councilmen, I should say, uh, Bob Holden and Eric Ulrich on this show, talking about how she should have been fired for her response to the coronavirus. So even before this, she came under fire here in New York for doing a terrible job. So now, she's an idiot. She, right, so she's under fire for doing a terrible job. She badmouths the police. What is her redeeming value? I th- you know what I think she was too a, a pediatric physician or something before I mean really uh, and n- nothing against pediatric pediatric physicians but uh, in this particular pandemic you need somebody with a little more uh, specialized uh, or, or broader knowledge I, I should say than just uh, a pediatric pediatrics you need epidemiologists you need somebody with a little more heft during this uh, pandemic and she doesn't have it uh, Governor Lamont wasn't afraid to fire his health commissioner because. Apparently, she didn't have that aforementioned heft. 
And, but not Bill de Blasio. No, he's going to leave her. You're right. She was the one who was encouraging people to go to uh, Chinatown in uh, mid-February. He said, just like Nancy Pelosi was doing in San Francisco. Come down to Chinatown. It's okay. She was dead fatally wrong about that. Yeah, and you wonder if the people make a big deal about it, does it even matter? I mean, if, if, if people like you and I are talking about it on the radio, obviously I've been tweeting about it for a couple of days, and we do have a, a presence. Obviously, we've got a, a forum and a platform. But for your everyday folks, you know, for Irving in Brooklyn this morning or, or Jimmy in Tenafly or Susan on Long Island who really want this lady fired, do you think Bill de Blasio, and for that matter, Governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, if you're upset with something he's done, you think they care? Uh, no, probably not. <clears throat> probably not. I'm looking up this lady, uh, uh, Oxiris, right here. Yeah, she is. A, oh, so maybe that's one reason. She's a woman of color. I don't know what the hell she was, but it uh, turns out she might. she's Puerto Rican. She grew up in the projects in the Bronx. Oh, sick and, of that, uh, too. God, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? So, uh, I don't care if she's black or poor. I'm so sick of all of that, too. My God, enough of that. And how do you expect, how do you expect to move on as a society if we're going to be we're going to bend over and be extra careful for black people for Latino people? It's enough of that already. You know, I know for I know instances, and even New York radio, where there were African American people who the bosses couldn't stand, wanted to fire them, and wouldn't do it because they were black. Can we get past that? Honestly, yeah. I mean, please, especially uh, when it means people's lives. Yes, she was a pediatric physician, as I pointed out. That's it. That was her uh, uh, her only real uh, credential that she had. Uh, she worked in the city of Baltimore for the government, but uh, beyond that, nothing. So now we're, we're stuck with her, and she obviously clearly has this uh, venom towards the NYPD, and she doesn't belong in her job. I mean, uh, so uh, she, she has to go. Agreed. Now, we've got some uh, sports news today. The commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, did speak yesterday about uh, resuming this season. I know it feels like every day, but hey, Donald Trump talks about it. So does Rudy Giuliani. So we'll get to the commissioner of Major League Baseball. The football giants have a very ugly story on their hand. Their second-year defensive back, uh, now an arrest warrant issued for him after uh, breaking out guns and stealing jewelry and cash at a card game in Miami. A very, very ugly story. And then two great guests stopping by today. Roger Stone, the Donald Trump confidant. That's coming up at 8.40. And from hashtag half the story, Larissa Lars May, as we continue our segment, WABC Cares. We'll take a short break. More on this Friday. Bernie and Sid, right here on Talk Radio 77, WABC. Back here on the Bernie and Sid Show, heard everywhere on the 77 WABC app. Happy Friday, New York. Tri-State, my friends. Hey, you know, this uh, this California thing with the mayor of uh, L.A., this Garcetti, this guy, he's worse than Fidel Castro, the way he uh, the way he speaks, the way he talks, striding, you're going to stay inside, we're going to be locked down until 2022, whatever the hell he's saying. And Governor Newsom as well was a little more soft-spoken about it all. Anyway, it has. You've heard about Elon Musk. He's uh, the big, the Tesla guy. He's, uh, he's got these automobile plants in California. He's threatening to move to Texas and other states, but he mentioned Texas uh, as one of them, and it's getting a lot of attention. This other guy, Joe Rogan, a very popular podcast guy, he says uh, he's thinking about moving to Texas as well. California complaining about the high tax, and now, mind you, neither of these guys are big Trump guys or, or Republicans necessarily. Uh, Joe Rogan endorsed Bernie Sanders, believe it or not. 
And he's like, I'm going to make the jump to Texas. Uh, he, he, I, the, again, the taxes and this, these oppressive uh, lockdown conditions right now, I can't take this place anymore. It's falling apart. And it may make Texas, uh, you know, they were talking about Texas might go blue. Uh, this whole thing is turning people against this authoritarian socialist uh, mentality that started to take hold here in this country. And hopefully this will be a wake-up call. That will be the silver lining. This is a cop in Seattle. Sid, you were talking about the cop who handed, uh, who, who uh, just allowed you to walk by, offered you a mask, and you said you didn't want it. Have a nice day. Yes. Good for her. Well, this a Seattle cop. His name is Greg Anderson. He was sitting in his patrol car, and he, uh, he, he selfied himself with a video, actually a videotape, that, and it went viral. He posted it. It went viral. This is a Seattle police officer, Greg Anderson. Listen to him. I'm seeing people arrested or cited for going to church, for traveling on the roadways, for going surfing, opening their businesses. Now, I want to remind you that regardless of where you stand on the coronavirus, we don't have the authority to do those things to people just because a mayor or a governor tells you otherwise. We don't get to violate people's constitutional rights because somebody in our chain of command tells us otherwise it's not how this country works yeah you tell him greg anderson <laughs> uh, yeah, by the way he got suspended i'm sure he did unbelievable <laughs> he did. because because he because he, he made the uh he did the message in his uh uniform but either way that's the attitude that's the mentality that's starting to take hold and again i'm, I'm saying this uh this 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 discontent is cutting across a lot of lines party lines or all kinds of ethnic gender whatever demographic it's just too much. It's too yeah. heavy-handed. We, you know, I mean, enough, enough, enough. Almost every night on the nightly news. Now, last night, I uh, cheated on my guy, David Muir. I feel terrible about it. I committed adultery. I went to Nora O'Donnell. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> she looked so good last night, those big blue eyes and that yellow jacket. She really looked very, very pretty. She's a, a lovely Irish lass. Yes. So I watched her, but uh, almost every single night, whether you're watching her, him, or Lester Holt, every night, they will show you some video of people beating the living daylights out of each other in some city in America <laughs> who have just had enough. I swear to God, it's everywhere. Yeah. Then they showed a picture of a bar last night on CBS. Was it Texas? Some bar. I think it was Texas, Bernie. And the place was packed. There was no social distancing. They were sitting at the bar, like 200 people. There was an outdoor area, too, and they were drinking outside. There wasn't even, it wasn't even close to social distancing. And they just didn't care. I didn't care. Well, listen, the, the, everything is on the we, – obviously, we don't want a second wave, as they say. But uh, Florida, Georgia, Texas, the numbers are coming down. Places are reopening, and they're doing just fine. I mean, it, you know, the, the rest of us are, are taking notice. Yes. And uh, and demanding that we do it here as well. I mean, this, this slow rolling – is just unacceptable. It's gonna it's gonna ruin this society. It's gonna ruin these local states at, at the very least. Maybe yeah. Florida, Georgia, and Texas, and other red states will prosper at the expense of New York, California, Michigan, Illinois, Massachusetts because of these uh, blue state governors. Well, we'll see if Major League Baseball is taking notice of the states that are doing well and states reopening and numbers going down. We'll hear from baseball's commissioner on the possible return of Met and Yankee baseball coming up next. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Ah, you can see Bruce Springsteen and little Stevie. Stevie Van Zandt, Nils Lofman, Mighty Max Weinberg playing outside the bar. Asbury Park, New Jersey doing this song, Baseball Band's Glory Days. 
Well, the uh, baseball commissioner, Rob Manfred, did in fact speak yesterday. We know that Monday the owners put a proposal in front of the players, which did not talk about the economics of the game. Nothing about prorated salaries or revenue sharing. It was just about testing and making sure the players would be safe and staff moving forward. So the players' union did see that on Tuesday. But until we talk economics, it doesn't really mean much. And there are some people that really think it's not going to work, that the billionaires versus the millionaires will mean the end of the baseball season, even though Yankee GM Brian Cashman came out yesterday and said he is, quote-unquote, optimistic there will be baseball. Anyway, here's baseball commissioner Rob Manfred on that. I think it's hopeful that uh, we will have some Major League Baseball this summer. Um, We are making plans um, about playing in empty stadiums. As I've said before, All of those plans are dependent on what the public health situation is and uh, us reaching the conclusion that it'll be safe for our players and other employees to come back to work. You know what's funny, Bernie, is uh, you know Andy Slater. He's a sports guy down in Miami. He's been on this show. I'm on his show every Thursday at my former station down in Palm Beach. And I do my friend the Greeks show on 940 AM WINZ in Miami every Friday. I'll be on today. But long story short, yesterday I'm on with Andy Slater. And I said, listen, I said... Well, you and I keep saying the elderly and the vulnerable need to stay at home. And just because they're at risk doesn't mean that my future needs to be at risk. Now, when I say my future, I'm working, obviously, but I'm speaking on behalf of the 36 million people that aren't. So, I, so at the end of the day yesterday, Bernie, Andy, this guy, Andy Slater, forwards me a bunch of emails from elderly folks living in South Florida. Uh, one guy named Chicky, he's 74. One guy named Irving in Delray, he's 72, and on and on. And they're all saying in the email, so hold on a second. So this guy, Sid Rosenberg, is saying that I need to stay home? Why is that? And why is that well, is if you're going to bitch and complain about healthy people going back to work or going outside without a mask and enjoying life every single day because you are, in fact, at risk... Well, that's why I said that, right? Yeah, but Sid Rosenberg isn't going to mandate that you have to stay at home. You do whatever you want. You go out to the baseball game. You go out to the Super Bowl. Whatever you want to do. You want to take that risk? Go ahead. Fine. I'm all for it. I'll take the risk. But you're not mandating anything. Everybody, no. everybody is an adult. We're adults. We're, we're, we know what the hell we're doing. We know what the risks are. And uh, that, that's what this guy can do. It's not that you're, you're suggesting, if that's your worry, right. then, or, then give these people the advice. Let them know that they're maybe a little more vulnerable than the rest of us, even though the death rate, again, is still very, very, it's infinitesimal, really. Uh, even though way too many people have died, I'm not dismissing that. But percentage-wise, of all the people who contract this uh, virus, uh, overwhelmingly, what, 99.5% survive it? Yes, uh, so, so therefore, it, it is up to you. No, you. I don't think you're telling this guy to stay home. But no. don't make me. Don't make the rest. Don't don't let society shut down because of uh, so, a few vulnerable people who, God bless them, we feel bad for. We have it at the phones yet today. One eight hundred eight four eight WABC. One eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Two great guests, including Roger Stone, about to join us in the second half of today's show. Sit the phones. Bobby is in Levittown on line five. Good morning, Bob. Hey, guys, you know, I was representing you at the rally over in Comac yesterday. Was there a rally in Comac? How many people showed up about? 
Probably about 400 people. Wow. Um, it wow. Could, could have been more, but, you know, News 12 set up their camera all the way at the other end where there was nobody over there. So I called them out on one of these women's megaphones, and then the whole crowd surrounded <laughs> the camera. It was amazing. But, listen, I, I woke up this morning, and I got a news alert that Cuomo extended the, exec- the stay-at-home order till the 13th of June um, for Long Island, for the city, whatever. My message for the American people is you need to go back to work. This is not going to be here by June 13th. We are losing millions and millions of jobs every day because of the reckless leadership of the left in this country that are using a pandemic to take out an economy to get a pedophile elected into the White House. I I mean, do I have to say that again to make this clear to the American people that this is political? There are 26 states that have reopened, 24 that are closed with all Democrat governors. How are we not seeing this? I we think are we seeing are it. seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, we know it. Thank they you, know Bob. it. Uh, everybody knows it. They're not going to acknowledge it, of course, but uh, we will. And uh, we pointed out earlier, uh, you have uh, the red states are doing fine. The ones that they were, they were sounding the warning on, the warnings on, uh, Texas, uh, excuse me, Florida and Georgia are uh, actually seeing uh, uh, d- dramatic declines in the rate of infections, and they're doing just fine. They reopened. Uh, again, they were, they were vilified back in, the, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But they're doing well, and you don't hear a damn thing about it from these blue no. state, uh, these the, the the liberal news, the mainstream media. You don't hear anything about it. No. And by the way, that, that 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 demonstration out in Comac, do you think Channel Seven Eyewitness News covered it? Do you oh, think stop. Uh, stop. S- Steve Lacey on Channel Five covered that? I mean, that that's the real story because people are getting sick and tired of it. They want to cover that up because they're in lockstep with people like Andrew Cuomo. Well, I'll tell you, you know, it's funny about that, again, to kind of insert us into the story. So Shannon Ferry, very cute kid, Hofstra kid, friends with her. What was that girl's name? She got Frodo. Jennifer, uh, what's her last name? Grad. Oh, yeah. Jennifer Grad, yeah. Jennifer Grad. They roomed together at Hofstra. So anyway, Shannon is a very good reporter over at New York One, and she saw my Twitter account talking about this. You know, this rally that uh, we're planning for June 1st in front of City Hall. She said, are you really planning on setting this thing up and being there? I said, I am. I said, in fact, if uh, Lou Dodley or Roma Torres or any one of these uh, brave hearts over at New York One wants to talk about it, you can come down to Penn Station, Madison Square Garden, interview me. That's fine. And Bernie. But yes, we are planning on doing it. So she was all enthusiastic and all zealous about doing something. And what do you think uh, New York One management did? Nothing. Ignore it. Ignored it. They don't, they don't want, because like you said, whether it's a rally in Comac, what's going to take place tomorrow? Curtis Lee was been talking about it on Staten Island. That may get some local coverage because of Curtis, but truth be told, like you said, they don't want to cover these things because they want to continue to promote gloom and doom and make it seem like everybody in the city and state wants to keep things exactly the way they are. No, no, no doubt about it. And uh, you know, even the uh, some of these polls that they put out as suspect, uh, the way they ask the question, uh, look, they got to do some fresh polls and ask the questions properly. I mean, and present the uh, prospects properly, the, the prospect of the uh, if we don't open up, what will happen? Lay out the fact that we w- will slip into a Great Depression. And, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of uh, suicides, alcoholism, uh, domestic abuse, all this stuff. Poverty, they have to be informed of that in the question. And they'll say, you know what, maybe we should reopen. I believe most people would uh, 
acknowledge would acquiesce to reopening it's instead of the way they uh, uh, pronounce it or, or ask the question they propose the question they say uh, do you want to be safe or do you want to be reckless so they ask it in some stupid way that it skews the question and the uh, results in favor of 60 uh, percent say they're fine with governor cuomo's policies of being safer uh, than uh, instead of sorry and it's it's a bunch of garbage agreed one more sports note uh, for met fans uh, or how do you remember Art Howe? Bernardi was a Met manager in 2003 and 2004. I, I, I vaguely remember. Yeah, we yes. worked together at WFAN for those five years. He was a manager of the Mets for two of those years. He was a nice player for the Astros for about six years. Then he managed the Houston Astros for about four years, spent seven years as the Oakland A's manager, and then again managed the Mets in 2003 and 2004. He was a guy that replaced Bobby Valentine, and it was a disaster. The Mets were terrible under Ord Howe. Anyway, he's got the coronavirus, and he's in ICU this morning, 73 years old, Ord Howe. So I know Mets fans hated him in 2004 when he got fired, but pray for Ord Howe this morning. Of course. Uh, one of my favorite groups ever, The Cure, Robert Smith, yesterday. I actually saw these guys perform once live at a, a very popular club. And I always screw this up. I'm not sure if it was Franklin Square or Eisenhower Park, Metro 700. I used to go on Thursday nights. And it was a, um, you know, like WDRE. It was, uh, what was that music called? The Alternative uh, Rock uh, Club. I saw Flock of Seagulls perform there. I saw The Cure perform there. And I say this all the time, not that I'm proud of it, but just as a cautionary tale, that I did more cocaine and drank on those Thursday nights at that one club in, uh, in, that, in Long Island, Bernie, than uh, most people do in a lifetime, including Tony Montana. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, uh, not so good times. I mean, it was fun for what, about an hour, and then the rest no, of the night is a nightmare? four right? hours. Maybe four or five hours. Really? So, yeah, I would go to Spratt's first or something and have a couple of drinks and get all pumped up and then go there. And it was good till right. about, eh, you know, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. It got really bad when the sun would start to come up. Oh, and, no, I, I know oh. I know exactly what you're talking about. But did you bust a move on the dance floors? Burn, well? are you kidding me? I taught Denny Terry everything he knows, that guy. Huh. I was great uh, out listen. there. You probably look like uh, Curtis Lee at the Christmas parties, who, who who looks like he missed the polio vaccine. I've heard about that. You yeah. know, he uh, he takes a great offense to that. He says he's actually a very very good dancer, Curtis Lee. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he he has moves. It's just that they're they're very weird moves. He's, he he does have some. Uh, yeah. Well, he'll be out some, there tomorrow. Some, some, something going. He'll on. be on Staten Island tomorrow, I guess, for this rally. Is is he actually leading this rally? Did he start it? No. No, he just wanted to hip us to it. Uh, it's uh, tomorrow at, I believe, at noon at Victory Boulevard by the old DMV, West Shore uh, Expressway. Victory Boulevard, West Shore Expressway. He's not leading it. I'm sure he'll be there, but he just wanted to let us know it's happening. They're happening all over the place. Like, they've been happening every weekend here on Long Island. That uh, caller talked about Comac uh, yesterday, but uh, they've been going on. Huntington, Comac, uh, that area out there. Uh, look, Suffolk County uh, uh, was was Trump country. They voted. Uh, that was a, a Trump County, uh, Suffolk County, and that's where these protests are taking place. And Nassau County, uh, tr- you know, uh, the, the president almost won Nassau County, but uh, he didn't. So uh, anyway, Long Island, a lot of Long Island is Trump country, and it's 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 red state minded. 
And that's why you're seeing these protests, and they're getting ignored, of, of course, by the local media here. Franklin Square. Thank you, uh, Cheryl Vendito, checking in. Uh, no, you're right. Uh, they are getting ignored. And it's, it's a little depressing that here we are exactly one week away, one week to the day, of Memorial Day weekend. Right? It all starts a week from today, next Friday. Most people will be getting ready. I know the Jersey Shore is open. With that is the big announcement. In fact, let's play that. Let's play the New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy here quickly, talking about reopening the beaches for Memorial Day weekend. But um, it really, it's not as good as it sounds. Let's play Phil Murphy. Today, I am proud to announce that, yes, our shore and our lakesides and our lakeshores, rather, will be open. And with, as with all of our decisions, we followed our core principles that data determines dates and public health creates economic health. We want everyone to have fun, but we need everyone to be safe. To accomplish both, we will be requiring restrictions on how many beachgoers may be allowed on any beach or lakefront. And the social distancing we've been practicing in our hometowns will be extended to our beaches. Organized games and contact sports will be prohibited, as will beach recreational summer camps and special events that draw people to the beach, such as concerts, festivals, or fireworks. So, yeah, the beaches are going to be open next weekend, but it ain't going to be a bunch of fun-loving people rolling in the ocean, playing frisbee, having a football catch, getting a beer across the street, and whatever you're used to doing on a summer afternoon. The beaches are open, but it's not going to be close. And as Joe Nolan talked about earlier, Bernie, some of these spots in New Jersey will even be more strict than others, and basically... You can't even lay out there on your lounge chair for a couple of hours. That's what you do. You go to the beach in the morning. You lay out there for eight hours. Now they, they may tell you after an hour to get off the beach. So, yes, the beaches are open in Jersey, but it's not as good as it sounds. That's my point. No, it, you listen, I, uh, I sense it's going to be a nightmare. First of all, how are people on their way to the beaches going to know if there's too many people or not? I mean, right. what are you going to do? Take that chance that they're going to turn your car around? I, and I understand the municipalities, the local municipalities, will decide on enforcement. But I also read that uh, they're going to close the boardwalks and the beaches at 5 p.m. I, yes. I believe I read that. Yes. 5 p.m.? Excuse me. That's, that, that's unacceptable. That's prime that. time. By the way, that, that is the nicest part of the day when the sun starts to come down and it gets a little cooler, but it's still very warm. And that sun gets closer to you by 5 p.m. For me, at least, when I go to the beach... That's the time of day I enjoy the most. 12, 1 o'clock, it's hot. You know, but by 5 o'clock, it is beautiful, Bernard. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, twilight, uh, it, it is, it, that is prime time when you're just chilling, uh, you know, maybe having a cocktail before you go home or, or maybe not, maybe whining, whatever it is. It's too, way too early. It's not, it's not feasible. It's not doable. It's not practical. It's going to be a nightmare. They just they have to open up and let people do what they do. Let them act responsibly. These tyrants can't dictate how people behave in public any longer. We, we followed what, all your instructions. We uh, flattened the curve, slowed the spread. The hospital crisis is over. Now just reopen the damn place and, and let, let's, let's get on with it. Let's not, not let the society collapse. Well, the pressure is on the governor here in New York now, Andrew Cuomo, to do something uh, in New York. A lot of pressure on him when it comes to reopening in the beaches and a lot of pressure on this um, putz, Mayor de Blasio, on what he's going to do with this uh, health commissioner, Dr. Barbo. So both feet, uh, Cuomo and de Blasio, both guys' feet held to the fire today. What will they do? Cuomo, a response to New Jersey, and de Blasio, the outcry from New Yorkers like Bernie and Sid. Deb's got the news, our three of Bernie and Sid coming right up. Only lovely walks by. 
Back here on the Bernie and Sid Show, which it's going to be today. It's going to be very, very warm. Hot and humid. Looking forward to that. Maybe a couple of thunderstorms, but a fairly nice weekend on hand. Sunny. That's a great thing. We're heard, by the way, everywhere on the 77 WABC app, the Bernie and Sid Show. And uh, look, you know, yesterday they had, uh, I, I mean, the, this uh, Congress, it's unbelievable. They spent three and a half years or three years, whatever, wasting our time on a uh, uh, Russia collusion hoax, which we now know now the extent to which uh, the, the, the hoax that it was manufactured completely, totally. And then uh, another six months on this uh, Ukraine hoax in which they actually did impeach the president of the United States. Complete and total waste of time. And now we're holding hearings on the the coronavirus handling. It's like dragging uh, Franklin Roosevelt into, uh, you know, Congress or his people. Uh, you know, th- that was December 7th of 1941, Pearl Harbor. It's like dragging them in uh, January of 1942. I mean, th- w- we're still in the middle of this stuff. Let's wait till it's let's wait till it's all over. We, it's it's morphed from a, a health crisis now to an economic crisis, which it will become a health crisis as well. We have problems to focus on, not dragging people in and asking them questions and trying to get them to say the worst things possible, like uh, Dr. Fauci. We can't reopen schools, <clears throat> scaring the hell out of everybody. They brought some clown in called uh, his name is Dr. Bright, Dr. Not so bright. Uh, he was demoted. He worked See what for he did uh, the, Dr. Not yeah, so worked, That's very funny. <laughs> he worked for the uh, government. He's he's still getting paid. He was demoted, and they say, well, well, first of all, l- listen to what he said. And this is the cut that got all was all over the newscast yesterday. This Dr. Bright. Listen to him. Our window of opportunity is closing. If we fail to improve our response now, based on science. I fear the pandemic will get worse and be prolonged. Without better planning, 2020 could be the darkest winter in modern history. And that got so much play yesterday. I mean, everything is gloom and doom. And, and anyway, this guy, he's still getting paid uh, 300 grand a year uh, to work for the government. He, they just switched up his job. He's, they claim that, uh, and, and this is why they brought him up, that he he was demoted because he was promoting hydroxychloroquine. That's what they claim. I mean, that's how political this is. I mean, who needs to hear from this idiot? There's a million uh, obscure scientists working for the federal government, and they want to bring this guy in because he's got negative things to say, and it reflects, in their minds, it reflects poorly on the president. Here is a guy who we've had on the program, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, on that dude. Everything he's complaining about was achieved. Everything he talked about was done. While we're launching Operation Warp Speed, he's not showing up for work to be part of that. Hydroxychloroquine, Dr. Bright literally signed the application for FDA authorization of it. His allegations do not hold water. So he's being called a liar by the HH. He's just a, just a you know, malcontent, uh, loudmouth is what he is. And so the media uh, embraces them, of course. One one obscure guy. Now, speaking of hydroxychloroquine, I had this yesterday, but I got sick of talking about hydroxychloroquine. But none other than New York One. New York One, and they had a doctor from Langone Medical Center. Uh, and I have uh, their article accompanied with their, uh, I'm going to play this little a piece of a report for you on hydroxychloroquine. 
Uh, the New York NYU's Grossman School of Medicine did a study. Patients were 44% less likely to die from the coronavirus. This is New York 1, this bastion of liberalism, and they played this. Re- they did this report yesterday. Here's a piece of it. Researchers at NYU's Grossman School of Medicine found patients given the anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine, along with zinc sulfate, and the antibiotic azithromycin were 44% less likely to die from the coronavirus. Certainly we have very limited options as far as what we've seen work for this infection, and so anything that may work is very exciting. So there you go. What's the big deal, folks? If it might work, and, and they, these studies say it does, this is one uh, Texas physician her name is Yvette Lozano. She was complaining that the uh, that CVS wouldn't fill out the uh, her prescriptions for uh, for this hydroxychloroquine, which she claims works beautifully for her patients because of some federal restrictions or, or whatever it was. This listen to her on the effects of that aforementioned drug. Every patient that I've treated, serious, moderate, has had resolution of symptoms within 24 hours. They are improved within five hours. Um, the fevers are gone within two days. The lung, the lung restriction, which is the most important, mm-hmm. resolves within about four to five hours. You see dramatic improvement. It's it's incredible. I I'm surprised myself. So Dr. Not So Bright should just shut up instead of scaring the hell out of people. Uh, the darkest winter is coming. That's not true. That's not backed up by science. We talked earlier about uh, Georgia and Florida. How they're, I mean, despite the doom and gloom predictions about Georgia and Florida and their reopening, uh, they've done very, very well, very well. As a matter of fact, Florida compared to New York is, uh, I mean, there's no comparison. There's no comparison whatsoever. Florida's deaths per 100,000 are in the single digits compared to New York's, which is 130 per 100,000. No I, I, I do have to point out, though, again, and DeSantis has done a great job, and you're right, there's no comparison. It's not nearly as dense. It's just not. I mean, yes, yeah, South Florida is relatively dense, but not like New York City. So in that respect, we have to be a little careful when we compare other cities and other states to New York. In all fairness, they don't have the amount of people in the small space that we do. They just don't. Yes, uh, you're exactly right. We have to be careful when we make doom and gloom predictions because that's going to hamper the reopening. It's going to hurt the hell out of people. Uh, And uh, Georgia, I cited as well. Georgia, Atlanta, they were worried about Atlanta because it is, uh, I guess, it's somewhat more dense than the rest of the the, the, uh, state. Yes, yes. So, again, you have to be careful when you make these doom and gloom predictions like Stacey Abrams did in late April when she was talking about the reopening of Georgia, how this is going to be uh, the apocalypse. Listen to her. We honestly don't understand. The mayors of our largest cities have all expressed deep concern, as have our scientists. This makes no sense, and it doesn't improve our economy. It simply puts more Georgians at risk. Well, she was dead wrong. Dead wrong. More Georgians are now thriving, and businesses are reopening. Their livelihoods are not dead. Their livelihoods are alive. Their businesses are alive. And the uh, the, the, the case rates are, are, are plummeting in Georgia, Florida, and even Texas, the red states. The blue states, they are as well. New York and New Jersey. We're going down, 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 but they and, won't. And they we, won't. They, and we will continue to go down because the weather is getting warmer here. And this virus, like almost every other virus, in fact, every other virus, doesn't thrive in warm temperatures. So you don't have to be a scientist to figure this out, folks. 81 degrees today. That's bad news for COVID-19. 81 degrees and humid. 
Humidity is uh, that's what the uh, they were saying at one one of these White House task force meetings, as you recall, a few weeks ago. Finally, the president on just that reopening you callous, uh, you callous SOBs. You don't care about people dying. Listen to the president uh, reacting to that. People are reporting they're, they're dying with this closure, with the shutdown of a country where they're in the house or in their apartment. They're not allowed. Some people are too tough on it. They're not allowed to go out. They're losing their jobs. We're not going to let it happen. Do you think your critics want you to keep it closed going into the election? Yeah, I do. I do. I think it's a it's a political thing in addition. Uh, I think because some they're states, saying you're putting money, business ahead of lives. Yeah, no, no. Uh, I think <laughs> the people. People that want to see the right thing happen, they agree with me. We have to get our country open. You know, it was up to some people. Let's keep it closed for a long time, okay? A long time. And watch the United States go down the tubes. not going to happen. You know, let me just say it. Uh, the, the mayor of Los Angeles, the uh, governor of Michigan, Whitmer, Garcetti is the mayor of Los Angeles, and even uh, Governor Cuomo, he's, he, he, he loves the spotlight. He knows he can reopen faster than he's doing. He's throwing up these uh, unattainable obstacles, as I pointed out, moving the goalpost. These people are selfish, vindictive, evil bastards. They're doing it for politics, and it's unacceptable, and we're on to them. And we're not going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. People are going to openly rebel. I guarantee it's going to co- cut across party lines. The discontent is palpable out there uh, amongst everybody. It's time to re the freak open. Eric Clapton, tears in heaven, this ahead of Roger Stone, Trump friend and confidant, set to join us at 8.40, and our WABC Care segment coming your way at 9.05. We did get some news this morning, a friend of ours, a very, very good friend of our next guest, had passed away yesterday. So here he is, making his second appearance of the week, our dear, dear friend, the hero cop and great actor, Bo Deedle. Bo, uh, sorry to hear the news this morning. I know folks are listening, so what happened? Well, you know, years ago... People used to remember him as Joey Pots and Pans. I named yep. him. Yep. His name was Joe DeCama. Now, he's a very was a very good friend of your owner of the station, Johnny Katz, was very good friends of him. He was part of the original Rat Pack with Mike the Russian, Steve Wickoff, Charlie Camella, Joe Abood, and Mark Arsimani. We used to hang out. You, you know, it's funny, Bo. If you go, I know you haven't been there for a long time, but if you go back to Nino's Restaurant on First yeah. Avenue... Remember that lady actually painted that beautiful... Uh, my table. Yes, my table. your table, yes. and it's me, my wife, actually, like Bill Clinton, Jim Gandolfini, a bunch of people, and you're right there with Mike the Russian and Joey Potts and, and Pants. Joe, yep. Joey Potts and Pants. Yep. A lot of people don't remember. We used to have Bo and Joey go to the movies on I Miss in the Morning, and we used to... Yeah, it was, it, it was a very movies. funny uh, segment. He was a funny guy and a nice guy. But the only thing is, I just didn't like him. I just hated him. I, I just didn't hate him. A lot of people don't know about Joe DeCama. He was the head of Fabergé uh, fr- Fragrance. He used to date Farrah Fawcett, one of the most handsome guys. He had a stretch limousine back in 1971. So it was he the guy, Bo? He must have been the guy then that hired Joe Namath back then. He was involved with totally, he ran Fabergé. And the next thing was, he used to get, then he started falling down on his luck a little bit. And I named them Pots and Pants. He used to come to me and say, hey, Bo, 
I got three cases of 2,000 flushes. They only have 50 flushes left in them. Then he would say, I got three-way light bulbs, but only 50 watt worth. <laughs> so he used to sell all kinds of things to all the drugstores. But he was quite a guy. He was one of our dear friends. We used to have the meatball runoff contest. And Joe, Joe DeCama was a guy that was on top of the world. And then he fell on his luck towards the end there, and he ended up dying in hospice with cancer. But like I said, he should be remembered because he was quite a guy. And uh, like I said, John Katsimatidis uh, was a very good friend of his. And uh, we mourn him. And Bernie remembers we used to do the shows. And very I'll, well. never, I'll never forget when we did Godzilla. We went to the premiere in Madison Square Garden. And I was going boom, boom, boom. I said I was so scared. We had our, my kids there. I said I was hiding under this chair, under the seat. All of a sudden, Joey says, wait a second. Fuck like that on the air. And Joey was one funny guy. And uh, uh, the world is going to miss him. There was only one Joey, Pots and Pans. And God bless him. And, uh, and uh, yep. our prayers go to him and his family. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. He was very a much. sweetheart. Yes. Rest in peace, welcome, Joey uh, DeGama. Joey Pots and Pans. He was really funny, classy. And he was a good-looking guy, and he was always the nicest guy in the world, as I recall, yep. uh, back in the day until, uh, well, he had that falling out with Mr. Imus. But, yeah, uh, yeah Joey uh, Potts and fans, rest in peace. By the way, who didn't? It was funny when Bo said Imus didn't like him. Who did I mislike? God rest his soul, too. I miss his God, too. But give me a break. Who did he like? But, um, yeah, we're sorry for you, Bo, and uh, for John Katsimatidis and all, uh, all of Joey Potts and Pants' friends. I do remember him very vividly as well. Had all those Monday night dinners with him and Bo, uh, with you, Bernie, and I miss and all that good stuff. So God rest his soul. Let's grab a couple of calls here quickly before Roger Stone stops by Bernard. Let's go to Paul in Morristown on line six. Good morning, Paul. Oh, good morning, Bernie. Good morning, Sid. Hey, pal. Hey. I just wanted to ask, uh, in your wildest dreams, did either one of you ever see in this country people protesting for the right to work? Did you ever think <laughs> you would see such a thing? I mean, no. Sincerity. No. No, it, it's, it it's, it's, it's surreal. It's unbelievable that, yeah, people are actually, are actually begging to go back to work. Or that people are willing to commit uh, economic suicide in this country for political gain. That's even sicker. I mean, not, not sicker. Protesting to work is not sick. But it's even more uh, disturbing that yeah, we've yeah. come to that. Yeah. Hey, let's go down to Delray Beach. I've talked an awful lot about Ron DeSantis in South Florida this morning. I'm, I was on with Andy Slater yesterday. I'll be on with the Greek on 940 AM WINZ in Miami today. Here's Frank in Delray Beach. Good morning, Frank. Oh, my God. What an honor, Bernie and Sid. Hey, real quickly, uh, I'm a former uh, Brooklynite. I lived in Jericho, moved down here about seven years and I want Bernie and you, especially Bernie, since he's the historian, we've got D-Day coming up June 6th, and we need a sort of Normandy aggressive D-Day invasion plan. We oldsters down here, none of us want to die, but we need landing ships. There's not going to be a country for your grandchildren and your children. And we have got to accept that the reopening of America at some level puts we oldsters at risk. Yeah. But we don't You're want absolutely to right. I love, I, I love the idea of June 6th being the day uh, Oh, the, no, no. Day don't don't start, Bernie. Don't you, you already moved me from May 15th to June the 1st. Now you can't move me to June 6th. People are going to start getting pissed off at me. 
but it's so symbolic. I mean, uh, <laughs> so, June first though is a Monday, so that would make June uh, uh, sixth a Saturday. Right, I don't can't know if do that's it. A, no good, Shabbos. <laughs> uh, oh, you're you, you're off on Saturdays. The re- the revolution has to wait because it's a Saturday, right? No, it it's is just, a very symbolic date. He's right. I mean, it, it does it does it does at the very least. We have to consider that, right, Burn? Yeah, we got to storm the uh, steps of uh, City Hall, or uh, I don't know, I'm not going up to Albany, but we we got to storm the steps of City Hall for freedom, right. like, just like they stormed the uh, beaches of Normandy for freedom to to, yep. to 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 liberate people from fascism, which is what we're suffering under these authoritarian fascist SOBs, and you're getting a taste of it right now, and I think it's going to backfire on them. It's very, they're very, they're very strident, they're sour, they're negative. And they, th- they, they think they have the authority to tell you what the hell to do. I mean, this is a, just a taste of what socialism, authoritarian, so- and this is where social- socialism leads to authoritarianism. This is it right here. You're seeing it right now. They're taking advantage of this crisis uh, to, 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 to do that. I mean, it's, it's absolutely unacceptable, and I love the idea of June 6th. All right, we'll, we'll consider that now, June 6th. By the way, Delray Beach, where Frank is, there's a spot. It's Atlantic Avenue, and uh, it is loaded from Tumati's Italian restaurant to— uh, there's a million places, restaurants and bars and uh, little, little cute little souvenir shops that go right down to the water to Boston's uh, there in Delray. And uh, that's all closed. Now, I know DeSantis reopened a bunch of Palm Beach County yesterday, but I'm not sure he opened all those restaurants. I, I don't know how that went, but that is a very quaint, cute little area, which is about 15 minutes away from my house in Boca Raton. We'll take a short break. When we get back, Trump uh, confidant and good buddy Roger Stone was on his way to prison. Well, he got a little bit of a, uh, of a stay, and we're going to find out what's coming up next for Roger. The gag order is gone. Roger Stone with Bernie and Sid coming up next. On the 77 WABC app, our next guest is a longtime political consultant, uh, author, prolific guy, uh, a little bit, uh, sometimes he's outspoken on various things, and people say, well, he's flamboyant, whatever. Whatever he is, he was a friend of Richard Nixon's. He was a friend of President Trump's, and that's what got him into trouble because he was a friend of the president. He was a confidant. He got swept up in the Mueller hoax, which we now know the extent to which this hoax was perpetrated. I mean, it went all the way seemingly to the top, President Obama, from what we learned recently. But when this uh, next guest, Roger Stone, was arrested— they actually, we were just talking about D-Day. They actually did a raid on his house that was uh, uh, similar to, it was even bigger than the raid on Osama bin Laden's compound. This guy, Rogers, poor Roger Stone, who if they just called up and said, would you show up uh, to our offices here? We're going to prosecute. He would have showed up with his lawyer. Anyway, they did this big raid with helicopters and Navy SEALs and all that stuff, and he was convicted. It turns out that uh, the judge was biased. It turns out that the jury four-person was biased. And then the prosecutors recommended that he be sentenced to way higher than the guidelines uh, uh, offered up, uh, sentenced to seven to nine years. And Attorney General Bill Barr stepped in and said, no, 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 you got to lower that, lower that to like uh, three, four years or something like that. So he ultimately got 40 months sentence and the sentencing was supposed to occur on uh, April 30th. It's been delayed to May 30th for the coronavirus, unless he tells us different. May 30th is his sentencing date. Anyway, let's bring him in right now. Roger Stone, good morning. Welcome back to the Bernie and Sid Show, uh, Roger Stone. I'm glad to be here. You know, the last time I was on with you guys, 
I was still under a court-ordered gag order, so yes. I had to right. choose my words extremely carefully or I would have been thrown in jail. Now, 16 months after my First Amendment free speech rights were taken away from me, uh, with my conviction, uh, I, they have been restored. Uh, I have a, an, an order to surrender to the Bureau of Prisons on May 30th. I have uh, filed my notice of appeal, uh, but everything you said was true. They subjected me to a Soviet-style show trial. Uh, and this all began, uh, and it's taken 16 months, but for one solid year, CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and the Washington Post said Roger Stone will be charged with treason. Roger Stone will be charged with espionage. Roger Stone will be charged with conspiracy against the United States. Roger Stone will be charged with cyber crimes, including the receipt and dissemination of the WikiLeaks disclosures. Roger Stone will be charged with wire fraud, <laughs> mail fraud, aiding and abetting, uh, accessory to a felony after the fact. So they, they conned a judge by telling him that they had evidence of those crimes. They didn't. They performed a legal proctological exam on me, uh, looking at every email, every text message, every phone call, every paper file going back four years. And you know what they found? Nothing. <laughs> Squat. Nothing. No, I know that you're completely caught up in a, in a pro, what they call a process crime. You did nothing wrong. There was no Russia collusion. And uh, you're suffering the consequences nonetheless. And knowing well, what we know now, they Roger. Charged me, they charged me with lying to Congress. But that's because Mueller got together with Schiff and they, and they, they formulated these gotcha questions, none of which were material, none of which hid any underlying crime. This is a frame job. Well, the question, though, now, Roger, is now that we know what we know, and Bernie pointed a lot of it out, that it may have gone as high as Barack Obama. In fact, the good bet is it did go as high as Barack Obama. Joe Biden lied about it this week on Good Morning America. Now that we know what we know, does that change anything for you, or are you still set to surrender next week? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, if, the, if the investigation was illegitimate, how can the charges against me be legitimate? Correct. Uh, but uh, my lawyers are very focused on that point. Of course, the fact that I was not given a fair trial is more than enough grounds for the president to pardon me or to commute my sentence. Uh, I am hopeful. I am praying to God that he will do that. Uh, but every day we learn new things. So Steve Bannon testified against me at his trial at my trial said that he spoke to me regularly and i updated him on the wikileaks disclosures that's funny because last week when they released his sworn testimony to the house intelligence committee he said he never spoke to me about wikileaks or julian assange not even once <laughs> so he either lied to the house intelligence committee which is what i was charged with or he lied on the stand during my trial which one is it yeah, you know, uh, Roger, and speaking of the, the WikiLeaks disclosures, and that, that was the core of the case against you, You're, you had a connection to them, a back-channel connection to Julian Assange. But do we know now, <clears throat> do we know definitively that the Russians did actually hack the DNC, and, and that's how uh, Julian Assange got the uh, information? Do we know no, that fact, definitively? No, 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 we do not. In fact, all the forensic evidence uh, is to the contrary. So... If you read the first five pages of my indictment, they say 
straightforward. The Russian intelligence hacked the DNC, gave the information to WikiLeaks, uh, and, and Stone was a conduit to give it to the Trump campaign, which was not what I was charged with and not true. No. The judge prohibited me from using forensic evidence and expert testimony at trial to prove that the Russians never hacked the DNC. No one hacked the DNC. All of the forensic evidence leads to the conclusion that the data was downloaded to some kind of portable drive and taken out the back door. But they fear the truth, so they would not, they barred me from, from making that case in my defense. They also barred me from arguing selective prosecution. We know Comey lied, Brennan lied, Clapper lied, Rosenstein lied, McCabe lied, Hillary lied, but none of them have been prosecuted for lying to Congress. They only prosecute Roger Stone. You and General Flynn, but but, but let me ask you before we move on from uh, the DNC question and the the hacking, you said it went out the back door. Remember that kid that was killed in Washington, D.C.? The young man, I should say. Uh, uh, do you suspect that, bring it back to him, do you suspect that he had something to do with it, that he was killed maybe because of, uh, the, maybe he had that information, he was part of the hacking or the, or taking it out the back door? You are speaking of Seth Rich, and yes. it's certainly yes. something that the D.C. Metropolitan Police should have considered mm. in their non-investigation. Yeah. His computer, which was turned over to the police, has miraculously disappeared. <laughs> How amazing. The last, yeah. bar, the last bar he was before he started to walk home, while it's amazing, the, ca- the security camera footage is missing. Right. How incredible. His, wow. You know, his parents initially said that his uh, ring, his wallet, and his jewelry, and his credit cards were entirely intact. Then later they said, no, he was the victim of a robbery. Right, they changed the no, story. I find it suspicious. I make yeah. no assertion, but I, do, I certainly think it's suspicious. No, no, he's right there with Vincent Foster. We want to know the truth about Seth Rich and Vincent Foster. So listen, Roger, uh, we're hoping, of course, that being, uh, this whole thing gets turned around because, uh, as we know, the whole thing was a hoax to begin with. So therefore, your whole, the whole procedure turns out to be a hoax. But regardless of that, Roger, Bernie pointed out that scene at your Fort Lauderdale home that morning when they came in like you were the, the biggest drug dealer in the history of the world uh, with 9 million people to a rescue. Uh, which was unfair, and you've lost millions and millions of dollars. I know that you people have donated a lot of money to you, which I'm very happy about, in an effort to help you. So even if, even if, you know, Donald Trump pardons you or something happens where you don't do this jail time, which you shouldn't do one day, not one day, what about all the other pain and suffering you've been through? How do you, how do you get that money back, that time back? What do you do then? I'm going to have to get a job. Maybe, maybe it'll be the Sid and Bernie and Roger. Who knows? <laughs> Hey, you're welcome. Hey, John Katsimatidis, our owner, loves you. I, I heard you on his show just two weeks ago. So you want to move back to New York City? <laughs> uh, John, is a great, he's a great man, a truly great man. He's been very, very generous to me uh, in this period. No, you're right. I, they wiped me out. I've lost my home. I've lost my car. I've lost most of my insurance. I've lost my savings. But worse than all of that, because of the gag order, I lost my ability to make a living. Yeah. I, I write and speak. That's what I do for money. And I, I was prohibited from, from doing it. Uh, I want to make one important correction, because the, the left is now trying to distract from the fact that Obama and Biden and Brennan and Clapper and Comey are caught red-handed. The initial sentencing recommendation by the four 
they keep telling you these were career, non-political career line prosecutors. That's a lie. Two of them, one of them worked for Barack Obama uh, in the White House. One of them worked for Hillary Clinton at the State Department. They were rabid partisans. Recommended a seven to nine year sentence based on my involvement in foreign election, uh, foreign interference in our election. That's not what I was charged with. That's not what I was convicted of. But nonetheless, Barr's DOJ never withdrew that, and they said they said they stood behind it. They also issued a new sentencing memo saying, Your Honor, here that's the high range, here's the low range. It's up to you, do whatever you want. So there was no interference mm-hmm. in right. my sentencing. Right. None. But the, these four prosecutors who hold themselves out to be non-political, every one of them is political. Every single one of them. Yeah, four of them uh, that quit. And, and of course, uh, legally, what you're a victim of is, uh, the, in legal terms, they call it the fruit of the poisonous tree. And, and it should be Correct. thrown out. should be thrown out. You should not be going to jail whatsoever. But apparently you, you have to report on May 30th unless something changes in the meantime. Although you can, you can, I, mean, and I don't mean this as a joke. I'm not trying to be funny here, Roger, but you are 67 years old. And with the whole COVID-19 thing, maybe that can get you a couple, more, a couple more weeks, a couple of months before we get this thing thrown out. Well, it's a legitimate argument because yeah. I can't tell you. They have designated a prison for me. I cannot, I'm not allowed to tell you where it is for security reasons. But I can tell you it is a hotbed of COVID-19. Oh, there you go. I'm, 60, I'm 67 years old. That's right. Uh, a vigorous 67, but nonetheless, yeah, that's a legitimate. My, my family is very concerned about that, as they should be. As they should. They let Manafort, uh, Paul Manafort, out, another victim of the poisonous tree, yes, uh, but not, not, not quite like you. I mean, he did some things, but whatever. Either way, uh, regarding the president's pardon, I, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure about that he's going to pardon you. The question is, will he do it before the election or after the election? And uh, what are your uh, prospects? I know you say you're praying for. What do you think you know, I, the president I, I, I will really do? do? I don't know because I, I want to be clear. I haven't made any formal request or, or application for a pardon, not that one is needed. On the other hand, there's a legitimate uh, uh, danger to my health. If I had to sit in prison for four or five months waiting for a pardon or for two years waiting for an appeal, I'll never make it. Yeah. Never make it. True. No. And, true. and one last question for me is, that, what do you think of the, uh, uh, ju- what are your thoughts on the jury foreman now that you can speak out? The one who was so biased, I mean, uh, the fact that they didn't throw out the case is mind-boggling. But that jury, Tamika, whatever the hell her name is, what do you think of her now? What can you tell us? Well, I think people need to understand the situation. Uh, we now know that in 2019, she was attacking me by name, as well as Donald Trump, on her Twitter feed. What she would do is she would take her Facebook links and put them up on Twitter. During the trial, she had them all on private settings. So there was no way for my lawyers to know. So in the judge's uh, opinion rejecting a new trial, she said your lawyers had an obligation to find this and they had the opportunity. No, they didn't. Immediately after the trial, she took her Facebook down. She yeah. had it since 2008. Mm-hmm. She, she closed it and opened a new one. Unbelievable. Wow. I mean, just... She attacked, me on the, she attacked me on the day I was arrested. Yep. And subsequently, she said all Donald Trump supporters are racist. But the judge said none of that 
uh, indicates any evidence of bias. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. A, it's unbelievable bias. The hey, judge, listen, too, is Amy, just as bad. The judge's name, just to be clear, the, name's, the judge's name is Amy Berman Jackson. Yeah. She has no regard for the Constitution or the law. She's almost as bad as this guy, Emmett Sullivan, who has just appointed a new special prosecutor to consider whether Flynn should now be charged for, for perjury right. because he was forced to plead to charges he didn't uh, commit. This guy they appointed, Gleason, this judge, he is as dirty as they come. He, yeah. he, and, uh, he and Andrew Weissman were partners uh, in the Southern District. They lied on the stand about a mafia informant, and because of their lies, a number of the Colombo family chiefs had their convictions reversed. This guy's a Clinton appointee, and he's dirty. Yeah, yeah but they're all Sullivan dirty. has clearly lost yeah. his mind. Hey, Roger, on the way out, for folks that uh, want to help you in terms of donations, I know you've got the website still set up. Where do people go? If you want to help pay for my continuing legal fight, you can go to stonedefensefund.com. If you want to sign the petition to the president urging him to pardon me, which three-quarters of a million people have now done, you can go to freerogerstone.com. Awesome. Hey, listen, well, we, we will do that. And by the way, he will definitely pardon you. The question, of course, is when. And we, we wish you all the best. And uh, hopefully they'll give you an, an extension regarding this uh, coronavirus, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the danger that you face yeah. if you go to prison. Roger Stone, thank you for appearing on the Bernie and Sid Show. Thank you. Appreciate right. it. You be well, Roger. Take care and tell your attorney, like we just said, the COVID-19, 67 years old. That's uh, You're right in that alley. Under the Milky Way tonight Lower the curtain down Lower the curtain down on Thank you, church, under the Milky Way, fourth and final hour of today's show, final hour of the week, here on the Bernie and Sid in the Morning program, nice 8 o'clock hour there with Bo Deedle and uh, Roger Stone, later on this hour, WABC Cares, and as Bernie pointed out, the end of last hour, we're going to talk to uh, Lars, that's right, Lars May, and uh, she contends that social media has actually been a, uh, a big deal for folks trying to get through the anxiety and depression during this time. So we'll talk to her coming up at about 9.30. You know, Bernie, you were here uh, yesterday. And usually on most days, Bernie and I, we'll get to the phones here, 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. We often talk uh, during breaks about what we did the day before, you know, what, what, what we had for dinner, what we do with our families, and workouts what especially. What we watch. Right, uh, and workouts especially. push-ups. Right. right. So Bernie will tell me, well, you know, today I ran to 90th Street, today I ran to 86th Street, I did 80 pull-ups, I did 90 push-ups, whatever it is. And then I'll go on, well, yeah, you know, I, I lifted uh, 300 pounds 100 times and blah, blah, blah. So I, um, I would tell Bernie all the time to cut down on the running because if you're trying to build muscle, it's no good. It's good for your heart. Uh, you will cut down on your stomach fat, obviously, but you can't build muscle if you're running 18 miles a week. You just can't do it. It's going to eat no, at it's it. Tra- it's a trade-off, definitely. You don't have to trade off. You can do what I do, which is three-mile runs, which is great, and you'll lose that little fat on your stomach, and it's good for your heart, and you get your cardiovascular workout, but that's not going to eat into your muscle. Once you start going into six, seven, eight miles, then you do. So, in other words, Bernie, boxers run every morning. And they lift weights, but they don't run long, long mileage because that will eat at your muscle. Anyway, 
I'm not trying to look like Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> Maybe you're not, you. right. I am. I mean, so yesterday, you are. I know you yes, are. I am. So yesterday, I go out, and I'm doing my uh, four-mile run. And I don't know, about a little more than halfway through burn, I feel this burning cessation just above my Achilles, right? So I stop, and I kind of, sh- you know, shake my foot and shake it off. And I start to run again. I'm okay. And then at about 100 feet, the burning is 10 times worse. Now I'm a good three miles from home, and uh, I cannot make it back running. I had to walk back. And I woke up this morning, and it was hurting me. So I just, I, I turned 53. I look good, feel like I'm in good shape. I didn't turn my ankle, Bernie. I didn't roll my ankle. I didn't step in a hole. I was just running, like Forrest Gump, just running. And now this morning, I, I could barely walk, so. Isn't that great? Is that right? Are you limping? <laughs> nah, I'm not really limping, but it's uncomfortable. And well, now I'm nervous. Past, I'm supposed to run tomorrow. Now I'm nervous. In the past, you've had burning sensations in other areas. See what he but, did? Uh, See that? But listen, <laughs> here's the thing. You just, uh, you know, it'll go away. I mean, this running thing is new. It's because of, uh, for me anyway, I was, I'm going back to my roots running. I used to run half marathons, all that stuff, and I've given it up. I gave up running a long time ago. But now I'm back to doing it, and it took a while to get to get the legs into running shape. So you just don't overdo it in the first place. And then if you do feel pain, just stop as yeah. as you you're going to do. Give it a rest for a couple of days, yeah. and you'll be all right. Yeah, it'll be all right. But it's funny because when I first started running about two months ago, I wasn't lifting a lot of weight back then. The gyms had just closed. I didn't have any weights. And my first couple of runs, I was like Carl Lewis. Boom, no problem. But I've been lifting heavy again. I got the weights. So it's a lot more muscle and weight. And I've noticed the last couple of runs have been much more difficult than the first month because I'm putting on more muscle again. So anyway, it is a trade-off. And I tell you, it ain't easy. It ain't no? easy. No. Let's go to what Tom in Delray Beach, Bernard, online six. Good morning, Tommy. Good morning, Sid. Good morning. Great show. Thank you. Great show. Thank you. Yeah, I want to give you an update on Atlantic Avenue. Everything was, I went down there Monday, had a nice dinner at El Cabano Ray right on the corner there. That was open? Right up the block. Yeah, it's, they're open. It, the inside restaurant was closed, but outside they were serving. The servers were great. They had gloves on and masks. We weren't required to wear masks or anything. Wow. They wiped down the table. Oh, you can't eat nice with a mask. Right, of course. Exactly. So, well, he's talking exactly. specifically, uh, a caller called earlier, Frank from Delray Beach, Bernie, and I mentioned specifically Atlantic Avenue. That was a spot that we used to go to often on Saturday nights, only about 15 minutes away from Boca. So Tom's talking specifically about Atlantic Avenue. So it's open, and it looks good. Everything's good. Right. We walked right up the block from uh, El Cabano Rays. The young people were out there. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, the, the tin roof, the of tavern course. there, the outdoor tavern. Of course. Of course. And they were out. They, nobody was practicing social distancing. I'll tell you that. Oh, much. boy. And I, I would say people walking on the streets, maybe one out of 15 had a mask on. But All right. And the numbers are down. Time it's to go to Florida. Boca. The numbers are down. <laughs> yeah, people, people are going to move to Florida. People are going to move to Texas. People are going to flee after, after this particular experience with these blue state uh, uh, socialist-leaning, authoritarian-leaning uh, governors. 
There may be an exodus, a mass exodus to these red states permanently. There already was. What do you mean? New York was. That's true. I know, but now it's going to be. It's going to be really dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Here's uh, Jeff Bernardi's in Jackson Heights on line four. Good morning, Jeffrey. Hey guys, I just wanted to. What I wanted to discuss was this June 13th thing with uh, with Cuomo. I, I think there's a there's beginning to be a really obvious delineation between what people in charge are saying is going to happen and what's actually happening. And from Jackson Heights, I could tell you, I'm I'm literally like a quarter mile from Elmer's Hospital, so I'm mean, I'm right in the thick of it here. And even over the past three weeks or so, this entire neighborhood is opening up. I mean, you can you can get food. I was in a deli the other day that I go to all the time, and I told the owner, I said, hey, remember the good old, good old days when I could actually eat this here? He said, you want to sit here and eat it? Sit here and eat it. Wow. You know, so I, right. I think, you know, what you're seeing across the rest of the country is actually happening here. And I think, you know, I think everybody shouldn't worry about this June 13th thing, because if you think about it, I mean, if Cuomo didn't do that, then technically everything would open up tomorrow, right? I mean, he has to has a, have a date. But I think what he's trying to do is uh, is politically come off as the hero here. I think if he puts a date a little further out right. and then opens things up earlier, oh, look, Cuomo came through. He opened every he would finished ahead of schedule. You know, I think that's what's really going on. That could be. Possible. Uh, you know, right now he's uh, we got five regions in New York State. They are the initial three. We've added the northern country and the central. So now five regions are set to open. Now, don't forget, folks, these are phase one, these five regions, as far as I know, Bernie. Now, phase one does not include gyms, restaurants. So while we're talking about no. eating, eating outside on Atlantic Avenue and Delray Beach in South Florida or eating inside at restaurants now in Atlanta, Georgia, even in the regions that are now open in New York this weekend, they're still only talking about manufacturing jobs, construction jobs. They're not completely reopened, not even close. It's a four-phase deal. Uh, you're exactly right. And schools, by the way, are in the fourth phase. It is a fourth four phase deal, and uh, when the retail shops open, uh, if it and I believe that is in phase one as well. Retail uh, is three in New York. Is that three? I believe so. I believe only one is only manufacturing and construction. I believe. Look, it, look it, uh, you know, with all due respect to the caller, I think the governor is slow rolling this thing. We 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 talked about it a million times. How uh, we met the uh, requirements that he laid out early on, all of them slowed the uh, curve, uh, flat, flattened the curve, slowed the spread. The hospital crisis over. Even in Los Angeles, the hospital ship sailed away. I believe it was yesterday. It was either, either that or it's leaving today. The hospital ship here left uh, a couple of weeks ago. So it's all we met this criteria. We met it. It's time to reopen intelligently, of course. Uh, which people are capable of doing. Small business owners, business owners, they didn't have bi- have these businesses in the first place because they're stupid people. <laughs> they will open intelligently uh, and, and in a way that makes sense. <laughs> Let them do it. Agreed. Kevin is in Westchester, Bernard. He's on line four this morning. Good morning, Kevin. Hello, Sydney and Bernie. You guys are doing a great job. I Thank you, Kevin. A few weeks ago. Thank so, you. Sid, so I did my Achilles 10 years ago. Playing what do you mean? You, you blew it out? I blew it out. Uh, I played basketball with my boys. Uh, I was uh, doing a Kobe Bryant fadeaway, and I, <laughs> I, faded to the, I faded to the ground. I thought somebody slammed me in the back of the leg with a basketball from another court, yep. and when I turned yep. around, nobody, nobody was behind me. But yep. it feels like someone takes a two-by-four and slams you as hard as you can be hit. Right. So, uh, right. so you, you just got to make sure you, uh, you stretch. You guys have a, quick, you have a minute for a quick joke? Yes. A quick golf joke? Go ahead. Yeah. Please. Okay. 
So this, uh, and Bernie's a good Irishman, so uh, this American goes to uh, Ireland to play some golf, and he goes to the local golf course, and the, uh, he says he wants to go play with a, uh, you know, someone. He's a good, good golfer. Can you put, put me with someone else I can, I can play golf with? Yeah, of course. Call this guy Patrick. He'll play with you. Calls Patrick. Patrick's like, sure. I'll meet you at the course at 9 o'clock, but I might be a half hour late. So the next day, the Patrick shows up, and he beats the American pretty good. So the American says, hey, can I play you again tomorrow, Patrick? I'd like to have another chance to win some money back, of course. Now, the, now that day, the guy played lefty. The next day he shows up, he's like, I'll be there at 9 o'clock, but I might be a half hour late. The next day he shows up, 9 o'clock, right on time, and he plays righty the next day, and he beats his butt again. So the American says, hey, I want one last chance. Tomorrow's my last day in Ireland. Can we play one more time? He's like, sure. I'll be there at 9 o'clock, but I might be a half hour late. He's like, let me ask you a question, Patrick. He goes, yesterday you played lefty, and you whipped me. Today, you played righty, and you whipped me. He goes, what determines which way you play? He goes, well, he goes, when I wake up in the morning, if my wife is sleeping on her left side, I play lefty. If she's sleeping on her right side, I play righty. And he goes, well, what if she's sleeping on her back? He goes, then I might be a half hour late. Back here on the Bernie and Sid Show, heard everywhere on the 77 WABC app. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, this Howard Stern, who Sid and I both, uh, for, for years, we revered Howard Stern. We thought he was very funny, and we still, he's, he's a talented guy, all that stuff, but he turned into a real blank hole, a real, uh, a real I don't know, an arrogant uh, sellout uh, schmuck who should just shut his mouth. He's, he's talking about he, he wants Trump supporters to die, and he says, listen, this President Trump, uh, he, believe me, he hates your guts. He hates the, you, you who support him and vote for him. He would, he, we wouldn't spit on you if you were on fire, essentially is what he's saying. But could, couldn't be further from the truth. He's known as the blue-collar president for a reason, because he, he, he relates, he connects with the average working person, the average man. Even in his days when he was a builder, it's legendary. He would go to these construction sites and, uh, you know, shoot the breeze with the construction workers or whatever it is. That's obvious. So, I mean, he's spreading uh, lies is uh, Howard Stern. And just to prove the point, the uh, golfer, uh, Rory McIlroy, he's one of my peeps. He's from Ireland, and he used to golf with the president. Uh, he did at least one time. And this is what he said. Take a listen. I'll stand here and I'll sit here and say the day that I did spend with him and, and others was very enjoyable. He's very charismatic he was nice to everyone didn't matter whether you were me or the the guys in the cart barn or the pro at the golf club he has something he obviously has something or he wouldn't be in the white house right you know whatever it is it's an x factor it's a charisma it's i don't know whatever you want to call it but most people that he came across that day he was cordial he was nice he was personable and that's my only real interaction with him so i will sit here and say that the day that i had with him I enjoyed, but that doesn't mean that I agree with everything or, in fact, anything that he says. So he's hardly the, uh, you know, the, 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 the arrogant rich snob that the idiot that Stern was trying to make him out to be. Uh, that's Rory McElroy. And, you know, back to this uh, beach thing, Sydney. Uh, the beaches are going to open in New Jersey, according to Phil Murphy, a week from today. And then, uh, curiously, he made this comment when he made the announcement uh, yesterday. Take a listen. And to be clear, no one will be discriminated against. No community can turn a public beach into a de facto private one. 
all visitors must have the ability to enjoy our state's greatest natural resource. So I guess there are some localities where people will say, listen, get the hell off my beach or whatever. Yes, yes. I mean, that sounds like a, a shot to me directly at the former governor, Chris Christie. I'm being serious. <laughs> get off the beach. Yeah. Well, look, first of all, I don't see. Uh, look, they're going to close the boardwalks and the beaches at five o'clock. Five Correct. o'clock. Right. Uh, which to, is way, way. I mean, before the sun sets, that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so, and, and how will people know if they're going to, uh, I hate the phrase, social distance and, and limit the number of people. I mean, if people set out that morning, pack their car, how are they going to know that they're going to make it to the beach? I mean, uh, it's, it's going to be such a gamble if they're going to be limiting parking spaces and limiting the amounts of people. It just seems like uh, you got to just open the damn beaches, open the parking lots up to everybody. People will be smart. It's outside. I mean, if it's a nice day, it'll be sunny and hot, and uh, they won't be at risk. Follow the science. Not not, not just the beaches, but uh, no one loves the beach more than me. I sit out there for nine hours. I'm not kidding you. I will go at eight in the morning, and I'll be in that same chair till five o'clock in the afternoon, which I'm doing tomorrow. I'm going to see Mike Sullivan and Breezy. So I'll be on the beach all day. But you have to open the stuff around it. You can't just sit on the beach. So you got to open the restaurants. You have yeah. to. you got to open the uh, bars. Exactly. You want to put them outside. You know, I'm sure they all have outdoor seating. Then you do that. But the beach day is not just about the sand and the ocean. you got to open up all the businesses in and around the beach, and they're not doing that. So it's not really a beach experience. Yeah. No, no. They're slow rolling this. Uh, it's, it's awful. I mean, uh, Florida, Georgia, they op- reopened. The numbers are going down, down, down. Texas as well. And uh, look, you know, before we take some calls here, this guy, uh, he, he runs Barstool Sports. And he's, he's, he, went, he put out a video yesterday saying pretty much everything we've been saying for weeks and using some of the same verbiage. This is uh, Dave Portnoy. Take a listen. What the f*** going on? When did this become flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve to we have to find a cure or everyone's going to die? Find a cure? Who says we're going to find a cure? People have been mentally preparing. We're doing what you ask. We've done exactly what you said. Now you're changing the rules. Exactly right. Exactly what we've been saying. I mean, almost verbatim for weeks now. They changed the damn rules. And uh, it's just time. The, the, the crisis, really, the health crisis has passed. The ships have sailed away, uh, uh, the hospitals, everything, all that stuff. I don't want to repeat myself, but it's a fact, and people are just getting sick, and it, uh, they're, they're just going to openly rebel sometime very, very soon. And, Sid, you'll be leading that charge. I absolutely will. I am ready to go right now. Uh, it was going to be June 1st, uh, Monday outside of City Hall, but a caller called in and uh, talked about Bernie's historical reference, and nobody's better than Bernie, and uh, said, hey, June 6th next week, D-Day, that's the perfect day to storm City Hall. So now we gotta, we got to uh, huddle up again next week, Bernie and I, and we'll figure it out. But I am, I'm out there for you folks. I will lead the charge in person. And if it means i got to go to jail, it won't be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, uh, like they did in, Ju- uh, in June 6th in 1944, they stormed the beaches of Normandy. We will storm the steps of City Hall here That's in New York City at some point. I think we have a caller here, uh, Sydney. Mike is in St. James, New York. I believe that's out on Long Island. Good morning, uh, Mike. Hello, Sid and Bernie. A uh, question, quick one. Is anyone investigating New York City Thrive? 
Well, no, and, uh, you know, Bo calls for that every week. Bernie and I talk about it every week. Where did that billion dollars go? And, and, and not only are they not investigating where that money went, but Bill de Blasio, in one of the most arrogant moves you could ever imagine, is coming out with a new task force. He's worrying about, he's worried about racial inequality in this city. And he puts his wife, who basically either misplaced or stole that money, in charge. And that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is he puts her in charge because, according to him, she did such a great job with Thrive. When all of us know <laughs> there's a billion dollars missing and there's more crazy people out on the streets and on the subways and here in Penn Station than there's ever been. Unbelievable. And, and by the way, no, he has not fired the, the health commissioner who told the cops, I don't give two rats asses about you cops when they were asking for protective gear. You've had uh, a couple of dozen uh, uh, people who work for uh, enforcement die, actually, for law enforcement uh, in New York State anyway. I don't know how many on the NYPD in, in particular. I know one detective died just a couple of days ago. One detective died from coronavirus, and it could be directly a, a result of uh, this health, so-called health commissioner not providing the uh, equipment that the guy needed. Who knows? But either way, uh, de Blasio, it's, so, it's, it's almost trite at this point. I mean, he needs, he needs to go. We need to do to him what they did to uh, Mussolini. Now, symbolically, I, I, I mean, of course, not literally hang him up by a lamppost <laughs> by his ankles. Right. But uh, symbolically, we need to do that to him. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. You know, I need someone. Help. Yes. Help is on the way. This is WABC Cares. It's our third installment. We did have Matt Kudish on the last couple of weeks from NAMI. And uh, today we welcome in Larissa Lars May. She is the founder of the nonprofit. This is a hashtag here. Half the story. Uh, you can see uh, uh, Larissa's been on Good Morning America. She's been on NBC News. She's been everywhere. And uh, you can also call NAMI, folks. Uh, it's not uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But they are there uh, most days, most of the day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. at 212-684-3264. That's 212-684-3264. Here she is making her debut on the Bernie and Sid in the Morning Show. Lars May. Good morning, Larissa. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me here. Listen to you, all energetic and happy and enthusiastic on this Friday morning. Yeah. <laughs> Got to bring the sunshine. Absolutely. You know? it's, it's no, it, tough it's, time. It, you're exactly right. It's great to have you. That's what people need, more smiles, more enthusiasm, more zeal. And listen, as a guy that is a social media junkie myself, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook every couple of seconds, Bernie can attest throughout the whole show that I'm, I, I'm on it all day long. Uh, I love it. Uh, my kids are on it. My significant other is on it. All my friends are on it. Uh, there's no question that uh, during this specific pandemic, this difficult time, that social media has actually gone from the enemy, I think, Larissa, to a friend. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And I think that that's part of the power of this time is that we're actually revolutionizing as a culture and, a, and as a world. And we're seeing that social media can actually serve us rather than hurt us. However, it's still important for us to evaluate our relationship with it, not only as adults, but also as parents and caregivers of young people, uh, because we're still learning about the effects that this is having on them. And they have to learn 
how to build a healthier relationship with it because there are both healthy and unhealthy ways to engage with technology. And Larissa, how can, uh, I mean, some tips and takeaways for parents uh, regarding social media, how should they handle it with their kids? Uh, you know, what should they instruct them to do, not to do? Absolutely. Well, that's, that, that's, that's the big question, right? And, and, sort of, and to give you just a quick high level of half the story, so I started it actually when I was in college as a result of my own struggles with social media and depression and anxiety, and I started asking these questions. Uh, but no one ever really taught me the healthy ways to use technology. It was just that I had to adapt, and kids are having to do that quicker and quicker and quicker. Now, especially during this time where, both, where all their school, they're socializing, they're, if they're worshiping, all of that is happening online. And so the, we came together with NAMI NYC because NAMI NYC has been serving the local, all of New York metro area uh, for many years, and we wanted to come in and support and help them and work together on creating a guide that really looked at digital wellness during this time. And, and for parents, there are a couple of things that you should think about. We created this guide, which is available at halfthestoryproject.com or on our social media at Half the Story. And there are a couple of tips. I think the first thing is to be able to understand what digital wellness is or tech-life balance. Digital wellness is the ability to build a healthy and positive relationship with social media. Um, we look at social media, your relationship to technology, very similarly to your relationship with food. It's something that's taught. It's not learned. And there are healthy ways to use it and there are unhealthy ways. Healthy ways to use it are active when there is intention, uh, when there is purpose, and you're leaving feeling fulfilled. And it's important to work with your kids to help them distinguish, is this a healthy use of social media? Is there an intention and a purpose? Or is it unhealthy and is it junky, kind of like eating a bag of chips for a full day without a full meal? Um, and, and first, it's being able to distinguish those, but then also making tech-life balance a family affair. And it starts with parents' behaviors. And then it begins with bringing everyone together to have specific rituals, like putting your phone to bed an hour before bed uh, so that you have time for that social media come down. Uh, the other is creating a screen time journal. So working with your kids to have them actually document the time that they're spending on their screens and how it's making them feel after so that they can identify patterns and shift their behaviors. Um, the third is, which I always love to say, is to make it almost gamify being screen-free. So mandate screen-free meals, put everyone's technology in a corner or in the center of the table and let it sit there. And the first one that takes their phone out uh, should, be, should be the one to do the dishes that night. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I'm going to employ that in my house. I think now I'm in New York City. These folks are here for support programs and services concerning mental health and related mental illness issues for children. Uh, you can donate to NAMI, too. I want you guys to do that. Just text NAMI NYC. NAMI is N-A-M-I to 56512. That's 56512 to donate now. And again, the number is 212-684-3264. Larissa May, uh, uh, that's right, Larissa May, founder of the nonprofit uh, Hashtag half the story. So uh, we also make sure that we uh, time their screen time. 
My wife yeah. uses her phone and it shuts off after two hours or so because as much as we're okay with the social media, even the garbage stuff, even the TikTok and the Snapchat and the yeah. my daughter stares in the mirror for 10 minutes and takes 90 pictures. It's annoying, but I'm okay with it. Uh, but we will time it for about two hours uh, from my wife's phone. It'll automatically shut off and then it's time to read a book or discuss something with mommy and daddy or take a walk in the park. That's another way to make sure to gauge the time. Is that right? Absolutely. And, you know, and the research and the standards that have been set are being really challenged right now for families because now technology is really our lifeline into the world. And so what we really suggest for parents, you know, the golden rule is that kids under 18 months should really not have screen time unless it's video chatting with family Did members. Did you say 18 months? 18 months? Yeah. There are kids at one year old? Wow. Wow. They shouldn't, they should not, they really shouldn't be using technology unless it's video chatting with the family. For anyone two to four years old, um, typically it's best to limit screen time to one hour per day maximum. But I, and given these, these new times, I'm trying to tell parents that, you know, it's probably not realistic that one hour a day is going to happen if preschool is happening online. So outside of anything that's happening for school purposes or work purposes, we should really try to limit and stick to that number. And then for everyone else over the age of four, two to three hours is recommended. But what we're seeing, what the research is telling us, is that young people, even before this pandemic, were spending up to nine hours a day on social media. What that means is that if they live into their 80s, they will have spent five years of their life on social media platforms. Imagine what you can do with five years of your life. And that's what the conversation is about, right? If your kid's going on social media, looking at all of these people and doing all of these things, it's a simple question of what are, you, what are your goals and what do you want to achieve? Because there's an opportunity cost to sitting on this all day. And there are things that you can do to, to become that person, to become that hero, to become that artist. And, you know, we have to really teach kids about that or else they will, quite frankly, spend five years behind the screen. Boy, you're so right. Larissa May, founder of Hashtag Half the Story, and you've partnered up with NAMI NYC. NAMI, by the way, stands for the National Association of Mental Illness. And you guys have an event coming up on Tuesday. I believe it's a, it's a webinar, Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Tell us about that, Larissa. Yes, absolutely. So this is an opportunity, sort of a part two of the guide, for parents to be able to come and listen and speak to experts to ask their questions about screen. And so we have Dr. Tracy Dennis Tuari, who is our partner on this. She's a PhD in neuroscientist, as well as the head of the Emotional Intelligence Lab at Hunter College that will be joining us, as well as Delaney and Tessa Rustin. Uh, Delaney and Tessa are a mother-daughter duo, and they created a documentary called Screenagers, which is an award-winning global film about growing up in the digital age um, and really examining that relationship between the parent and the daughter and what it's been like. And so this is an opportunity to come with all of your questions and with the best of the best and to get all the answers that you need. And you can sign up for that on the NAMI NYC event page. Uh, They have an event bright, and you can sign up, and you'll get the guide, and we'll have a great conversation. Sounds great. Listen, you're doing uh, really valuable work here. We really, really appreciate it, Larissa. As a father of a 16-year-old girl and 11-year-old boy, they are on social media all the time. This information was really, really important. So uh, best of luck moving forward. Come back again. Thank you so much, and stay safe. Thank you. You too. Have a good one. All right, sweetheart. Thank you. Larissa May, there she is, founder of the nonprofit Hashtag Half the Story. 
by the way, Media, it didn't go unnoticed because you're a genius. When you played Audio Slave, the late great Chris Connell, like a stone when Roger Stone came on. I, I, I did hear that, just you know. All right, good. Yeah. We didn't remark on it, but I did hear it. So. All right. So. You're it's a genius. The intangibles. That's right. <laughs> there you go. The intangibles that are uh, very valuable. That's right. Provided by Matt Meany. 1-800-848-WABC. 1-800-848-9222. Wrapping up another great week. Here is, uh, we'll go to your neighborhood, Bernard. They love you there. Yeah, Bumbaclot, man. <laughs> Alice is in Long Beach. Online 5. Good morning, Alice. Hi. How are you guys? I listen to you all the time. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Alice. Um, I'm on Long Beach Island down in New Jersey. And I oh, heard Jersey, talking, sorry. Yeah. Yes, yes. I heard you speaking about the beaches before. Yeah. Uh, our beaches haven't been closed. And I listen to Murphy every day, and then I have to turn it off after a few minutes. But I listened to him yesterday because he had an announcement about the Jersey Shore saying he was going to open the beaches for Memorial Day. Well, he's actually putting more restrictions on if he's closing them at 5 o'clock because they've been open. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's, uh, by the way, I don't know if that's the case. Um, Bernie, maybe you could uh, jump in here. I, I don't know. In fact, I don't think that's the case with every beach. I think that's on a locale basis. Okay. And then you were saying about um, the, the, some people talking about you can't let restrict people from coming there. What he's talking about is some of the municipalities told people that they can only go, people can only use the beach if they have the placard, like our, we get a disaster recovery placard to get back on the island if there's a hurricane. So the, some of the people that were in those locations on Long Beach Island, if they wanted to use the beach, they had to be a homeowner and they had to have their placard. Um, so the but that's not, not a private beach, though, right? That's not a private beach there, right? No. no. That's why he's saying that you can't do it. That wasn't right. right. I think that, that was right. right. Well, the big problem down here is, so say you come down to, for Memorial Day, there's no place to go, there's no place open, right. and there's no short-term rentals until June. Right. All the people that are my friends that are in the service industry, they're all out of work, they're trying to get unemployment, none of them can get through, and he's got to start opening the, the business. Now, Alice, here. that was my point all morning long. I said it three times. I said, uh, opening the beaches, who cares? You know, I sit out there for nine hours. I really do. Swear to God, I'm a tanorexic. But I got to get up and get a slice of pizza. I got to get up and have some lunch. Well, I got to get up and just... do things. And if all the stores and restaurants and all that is closed in and around the beach, then you basically ruin the whole beach experience anyway. However, uh, when I was growing up, we used to go to uh, Ferry Point Park in the Bronx, which uh, uh, ironically President Trump bought and built a golf course on. But we would go to Ferry Point Park and we would picnic. We would bring everything we needed. So you can do that. And it's great yeah, to, to, know, to know that you can do that. You, yeah. uh, a cooler full of beer, a cooler full of food and soda or whatever it is, you can do that. And so it's good that the beaches are open and you, you can be able to do that. You can do I mean, that, it would yeah. be preferable if the stores were open and that type of thing. There's also another Well, it's problem. not just preferable. You know, you and I are talking forever about reopening the economy. It's kind of like, well, we're going to start baseball, but no fans. Well, that means no yeah, vendors. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, you're right. Listen, you're right. You're right. Absolutely right. I mean, I'm just uh, throwing it out there as uh, an option for people. Don't not go to the beach because they don't have a store. If you right. if you want to uh, pack your own uh, stuff, you can do that. No, that's great. Yes, yes. But the uh, 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 the parks as well. They haven't opened the bathrooms. Parks are open, and people are defecating and urinating all over the parks. And that may be the case in a lot of these local beaches where they're not fully reopened. I don't know. I mean, I would imagine they would have lifeguards if they're going to open the beaches. Well, they have to. That's part of the... That was a complaint from your guy, Todd Kaminsky, 
actually complained in today's New York Post that people are going to go to the beaches in New York, whether Andrew Cuomo opens the beaches or not, and why would you want people swimming with no lifeguards? That was his exact point this morning in today's New York Post. Right, and then uh, Cuomo and de Blasio come out, well, we don't have the money. Well, then open up the businesses so you can get the revenue from the commerce it would generate. Morons. Are you morons? Morons. I know that the, uh, the bathrooms are open in Riverside Park, where I am, because uh, I made a duty there the other day when I was running, just so you know. Uh, that, yeah, that, that is nasty. <laughs> that is nasty. I'd rather go outside than a, than a New York City Park bathroom. I know. What was I going to do? I was two and a half miles from home, Bernard. What am I going to do? I'd, I, I, I guess you had no choice. <laughs> uh, do do uh, doing your pants like you've you've done that before many many times. And I thought about it. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you got closed with a couple of laughs. It's been another great week. And just uh, one more thing. Sure, go ahead, Bernie. Yes. Long Beach. You mentioned Long Beach. Yes. I don't know the status of our boardwalk, but these creeps better reopen the boardwalk by uh, a week from today as well. Just like Murphy did yesterday, they better get busy. Because the Jones Beach, Jones Beach Boardwalk is open. Long Beach Boardwalk is 10 times better, and it's time to reopen that damn thing, too. All right. I just wanted to throw that out. Well, I'm glad you did. And if they don't re- reopen it in a week, you will. <laughs> uh, yeah. There I'll, you go. I'll go out and defy, get arrested, <laughs> and uh, I'll become the next Shelley Luther. There you go. We love Shelley Luther. Hey, uh, folks, we hope you enjoyed this week. Excellent job today by Ariel. Thank you so much. Matt Meany, every day, great job. Chad and Dave, obviously. Uh, we enjoyed doing this. We've got the weekend off. We'll be back again Monday morning at 6 a.m., Bernard and myself. So from all of us here on the Bernie and Sid in the Morning Show to all of you, have yourselves a safe weekend. It's going to be gorgeous till Monday at 6. Peace! <laughs> Sit in the morning, streaming live on the 77 WABC app. Weekday morning, 6 to 10. Talk Radio 77 WABC.